Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 70 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horrors coming at you live. I am your host, Mood616, and of course, I've always got my hetero life mate, JP, the Mexican Panther, also known as Jonathan Paglioni. What's up, homie? Okay, who's Jonathan Paglioni? No idea. Just randomly came up with a name based on your initials, JP. Oh, okay. No idea. I'm down. <laughs> it, it's an inside joke that I always do. I always just throw out random names to people. And they're like, what? I love that reaction. <laughs> like, why are you calling me Jonathan Paglioni? I don't know. It's like the Italian me. Yeah, it is like the Italian you. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. So what's going on, man? Well, you know, uh, just kind of hanging out, uh, getting ready to record the podcast. I've been kind of uh, just chilling lately uh just hating the snow really kind of uh worrying about getting to work and stuff because we actually got hit with a little bit of snow we're supposed to get a huge snowstorm tonight Mm. it was so weird most of the winter we got no snow it wasn't even cold and then all of a sudden we're starting to get hit with it a little bit and i'm like ah i kind of don't miss this you know why you guys are getting hit with snow right now because it's pissing rain where i am and it's warm (laughs) <laughs> so the weather just shifted because we got a you know our winter started really really late this year man like we didn't get snow until december 15th or something which is pretty late and it snowed a little bit and then it got warm it's usually this is usually the coldest part of our entire year and it's raining so very strange maybe el nino i, I don't know i don't know how to explain these things man they're weather is fucking stupid Weather just makes no sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it, just, it makes no sense. It's like December or January 20th today or something. And, you know, it, usually this time of year, it's like negative 20 in Canada or 30 or whatever. Um, no, it's pissing rain and annoying as hell. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Weather, weather sucks, man. But you know what I was feeling this week? I was feeling, you know, coming into the show and it got me thinking. I was like, if, I, it feels like a lonely show this week, man. It's just the two of us. I, I felt the same way. I was like, it's been weird because we just come off of the last show with Kyle, which was the Ilsa trilogy. Yeah. And right before that, we had like a mega all-star show where it was like four hosts and we were just, you know, cutting it up. And before that, it was four hosts with Jeremy, you, me, and Steve. Yeah. You know, it was just we haven't been so, you know, just two people in a long time. Yeah, it's been a really long time. And that's exactly what I was referring to just the last, you know, three shows, which is rare that we had, you know, all these guests on over and over again and stuff, but all in a row. And then all of a sudden, boom, just the two of us, man. Yeah, you go through uh, like, I don't even know what it was, you know, probably like 50 episodes or more where there's literally two to three people and it's the same two to three people every time. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, four new people appear on the show and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just a couple episodes. And um, I love it, you know, and we're looking forward to doing that more because it's been going well. So, you know, yes, yeah, we're kind I of agree. sending in a little bit of an open invitation, you know, not fully open. But yeah. uh, if if things work out, we're we're, you know, open to the idea of having, you know, guests on so we're accepting audio audition tapes and uh yeah we'll be going through those and announcing the winner no i'm just joking um <laughs> can you imagine we're just like hey guys uh we got a competition here yeah. not really a competition but send in your audio audition tapes and uh you know if we like your voice we think it's sexy you know we'll uh we'll accept you no no i don't know we're just kind of going through it is what it is right now right we're not really 
trying too hard to you know fill in a void or anything. It's just, it is what it is. Like I don't know. I I don't really know what to say. Yeah, like we we have a few guests planned coming up for a few different shows, but we're kind of just feeling it out, seeing if a couple of our old friends might want to come on. Maybe some new people want to come on. We're just kind of basing that on. Yeah, it, yeah. It, like if we've chatted with with people like you guys probably know who you are who we're talking about the type of people that uh we've had experiences with in the past maybe like clive craven or something you know what i mean yeah. uh who, who we know we have chemistry with that's that's kind of what we we're because it's there's nothing more awkward than if you're just on a show with somebody who you don't know and have zero chemistry with and it's like oh this is awkward <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yeah um on that note about the show, uh, I just want to give a little reminder to everybody out there to go and subscribe to the new iTunes feed. Um, of course, our iTunes feed has moved over to and now we're being hosted by Horphilia. So the link will be, down, of course, down in the description. So remember, if you haven't resubscribed and you're listening to this right now, go over and resubscribe um you know on itunes so you can uh, check out the new episodes yeah it's extremely important it, it, yeah. it helps the show move forward it helps the show get noticed and one thing that i will add to that is make sure you guys give Rate us and a review and review on itunes and the reason i bring that up this time you know normally i just bring it up because i want you guys to do it but this time i actually have more of a reason to bring it up so we actually got two reviews which is exactly two more than we had on our old feed we didn't have one on the old feed. No, we Not didn't, did we? Not one. Yeah. And we asked for it many times, which I found just infuriating because I was just like, come on, man. <laughs> like, like I would even Well, do it. you know, to be honest, iTunes doesn't even make it that easy. Like, even they when make you it cl- extremely hard. <clears throat> even when you click on this iTunes link, say if you're on Horfield and you click on the iTunes link and it, it takes you to iTunes, um, the subscribe button isn't right there. Yeah, because you actually have to sign into your iTunes account. Yeah, on it's, iTunes itself. I know, and and if people didn't know that, you know, they just click on that and be like, "Where's the subscribe button?" Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. Well, right? I figure so. the people that do know that use iTunes all the time. So I guess. I, we're mostly talking to the people that use iTunes. Like, I use iTunes for all of my podcasts. Yeah, see, I, I'm just I'm just like a newbie to like. I mean, I use iTunes because like I upload music into my iTunes and things like that. But to go onto the iTunes store and and things like that, like I'll use my app on my on my phone. But like you know, on you know my laptop and stuff, I never go on it. Well, it's so so convenient because, look, you subscribe to these podcasts and you have it on your phone or your iPod and then you open your iPod and it's a Monday and you're like, okay, I'm going to refresh all the new podcasts. And then you're like, oh, download this one, download this one, download this one. You set your phone aside, you let them all download and then you got a week's worth of podcasts to listen to. Uh, It's, you know, super fun to do it that way. But I'm super happy that we finally got some reviews. Uh, ratings that those are even maybe more important than reviews right away because if you don't even have five ratings they won't even display your ratings itunes for one thing the the way that they do things, oh there's like a minimum amount that you have to have before that you get acknowledged yeah yeah and <clears throat> as a real as a real podcast <laughs> their formula is kind of silly but at well, the same time it weeds out all the podcasts that nobody cares about so you know, so what, you, so what you're saying is when we had zero uh, ratings and reviews before, no one cared about us then. Yeah, and it was hard to find us. Like, in the feed. Exactly. But the more, like, whenever you get. We rated, suck. We whenever suck. you get rated and you have reviews, if I search in, like, uh, Banana Laser Podcast or Exploding Heads Horror Podcast, in the, like, sidebar, it might show the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast as related, a, a related show. And that's what you essentially want because. 
whenever I'm looking for podcasts, if I see one that looks cool in the sidebar, then I might click on that one. And that's how you get a bigger audience on iTunes, which is the kind of a market that we like have not tapped into. Like we got mm, the YouTube mm. thing down. We have like the horror group page thing down, but iTunes, we just really have never iTunes and Twitter. Like there's so there's a whole community out there that we just have not been able to, you know, let our show out and, and people haven't noticed it yet. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what keeps us inspired to do this is hearing feedback, hearing people talk about yeah. the show, hearing conversations yeah. be started. <clears throat> I mean, me and Moods used to sit and talk on Skype regardless of with if we had a show or not, but when we're putting in the work to edit it and produce it and actually, you know, schedule it, then the point is for other people to hear it. If not, we yeah, just yeah. not record it and do it anyway, you know, and talk about stuff like we you used know, to. I always forget about Twitter because you know me, like I'm 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 like artarded when it comes to Twitter. Um, you know, when I upload videos into YouTube, like I actually, you know, they notificate on um on Twitter, of course, right? And I always forget about that. You know, and every once in a while, like someone will, you know, comment or or share my my post or like or like my post or whatever. And it's been happening quite like I like when it happens. It's like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'll do reviews for midnight releasing. And of course, um, you know, they get put into the Twitter feed. And it's cool when like midnight acknowledges that and then the director and then, you know, cast members and they're sharing it around. and And I just feel like I actually did something good. You know, it's cool. And they're just, you know, thanking me for the, you know, the kind reviews and things like that. But it's just that it's just that moment where I forget that it's on there and then that happens. Yeah. I'm like, I've been oh, a that, little active well, on Twitter. And, and then I say to myself, I'm like, well, I'm using Twitter, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like indirectly kind of I, I kind of forget it yeah. goes there. But I mean, at least it's working. It's getting out there. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to do that more, too. I'm trying to just use Twitter. And, you know, it was funny because like I just. I forget what I did. Oh, yeah. I was doing my 365-day uh, movie challenge. I've been tweeting out the movies I've been watching and stuff like that. And, you know, the directors, I don't know how the hell they see this. They if must they just search, search or if they have notifications for whenever it's mentioned or something like that. But they 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 always seem to respond or, like, you know, a, a, a high percentage of time. Maybe not a high percentage of time, but there's been times where – Directors have responded like, I hope you enjoy my movie. I worked really hard on it or, uh, you know, it's, it's way more intimate on Twitter with, mm. with the people who've actually made these movies and stuff like that. I really like that because it, it gets an instant sense of like they get a sense of recognition and then you just feel like, wow, they actually care that people watch their stuff. And you remember that these are real people and that they put their heart and soul into it. And I like that. I think that it's nice. And also, I've just kind of been chatting it up with other podcasts and stuff like that a little bit when I can, which is fun. So I'm, I'm trying to use the Twitter thing a little bit more. It It's kind of weird. I never was able to really like use it as social media other than just like a news gatherer. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of just trying to learn it and like my, stuff you know, like that. I'm not my, that witty. It seems like Twitter is <laughs> for witty people. <laughs> you know, it's something that I don't really do a lot of is um, I'm not trying to sound snobby or anything. I don't generally talk to a lot of other uh, podcasts and stuff. It's not that I, you know, that I don't want to. I just don't for whatever reasons, except for, you know, maybe the Exploding Heads Horror Podcast, you know, Brandon and Dave. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. I just don't ever do it. i think that's kind of like your thing i guess i don't know it's well, one thing i, I always really forget listen to, to a ton either like no, these I are all re- ones that i listen to so yeah. I, it's easy to talk to them 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, that's pretty much. I listen to like Killer POV and like the movie Crypt and and things like that. I mean, um, the but even that... then, you're listening to more than you used to. So maybe oh yeah, kind of... yeah. I mean, I would dabble here and there. Like I wouldn't even half the time wouldn't even subscribe. I would just you know kind of listen here and there and stuff. But those are the ones that I'm really interested in. Killer POV is just I really like that show, man. It's really yeah. Good. It's because they have a different means right they're in the industry so it's it's really a unique perspective on what's going on in horror something that the average person can't do so Mm. that that's why i think that show is so successful and so awesome and and that really is probably my favorite podcast to listen to by the way yeah i you know big shout out to the exploding uh exploding heads horror podcast of course they're doing the the top 10 show with us too but those guys are of course i thought that you know they were going to you know be making big moves and stuff with uh you know banana laser and things like that um but yeah i mean it's interesting how you can just make a mark for yourself so instantly too of course they uh you know when they did their top 10 show they did a top 10 worst horror films of 2015 which made some bank you know recently too but it's it's funny how like quick you can just get notoriety right oh yeah you know like Brandon, got a quote you know, I mean, you when you quote. think about it, like, I mean, we've been, you know, people have commented and, and given us credit and stuff like that over a couple of years for certain things that we've done on the show and stuff. But man, Brandon made a splash right there, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, one of the picks that he had on his top 10 list. But, you know, that's just the way it goes and stuff. So I think yeah. it's awesome. I mean, we, we've had we've had directors and stuff usually positively, you know, say, say, you know, thanks or, or you know, I heard the podcast or whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't think besides the Mutantis one, we haven't really had a negative experience. And that wasn't even that negative. Like, no, actually, like, totally understood. Actually, that was a really good conversation. She she completely thanked us for just being honest. That was, yeah. you know, if I took anything from that conversation that I had with her, which was, I might add, a long conversation. Like, it wasn't just like, thanks for the review. Oh, thank you. You know, bye kind of thing. No, we actually sat, sat there and talked for like a long time. And uh you know, if I took one thing away, it was, you know, that we were just being honest and that always kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I mean, it's not like we weren't being honest before these reviews. I mean, that's something that we always kind of vowed to do on the show was, you know, with me and you was be honest about everything. Yeah. And and I get that feedback a lot from people, but it was nice to hear, you know, from a director, you know, that we, well, you trash the shit out of the film. I, I personally enjoyed it. Like I like, you know, retarded things like that. And, um, you know, and she was very accepting of that. And it was just, a, it was a nice conversation to have, you know, yeah, just, I mean, I, I started even getting like kind of personal where I said that I felt like it was degrading the horror genre, like which films is like that. And yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a little tough. Because, it it you know, is a little tough, but it, it was how I felt at the time. I was very angry. I, I was like kind of annoyed that, that, that this film was made, but you know, it, I, I was being a little bitch as well. <laughs> you know, but I it, get, I get a little passionate. And when I see, cause at the time, that's all I was seeing was shit like that. I just watched worst horror movie ever made by bills above. And I was just like, this yeah. is this is too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's totally understandable, right? It's that, you know, the place and time and you're just having a rough go. I mean, that happens to me, man. I've watched good movies at times in my life where I have been watching just a whole pile of fucking bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, and probably didn't enjoy those movies as much, you know, for well, whatever reason. I started reasons. doing that with you the know? Universal Monsters movies. Remember yeah, I, I mean, said that I was watching them and I was like, these are just, they're, they're, they're all the same after a while. And I was starting to get, it was mainly the, the uh, creature from the black, not the creature, uh, the mummy. The mummy ones were just driving me crazy. I was like, these suck. <laughs> these movies suck at a, a certain point. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, I do. But then now I look back and I look at the highlights of that. And I had, I had such a blast doing it. 
<clears throat> exactly right. And, and you know, that's the thing, man. Like even this week, I, I, it seemed like I was watching nothing but serious films. Like everything I watched was, you know, serious. Like I was watching like Giallos and like, you know, road horror films and, and artists. And martyrs, of course, yeah, and um, and of course, this week, if you guys haven't read the headline, of course, we're doing the Cat People original um, film from '42 and the remake from 1982. So again, you know, yeah. uh, serious films. So I've been watching nothing but serious films, and I threw in a couple action films that were, you know, pretty serious, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> for what they are. But anyways, the point is, last night I, you know, I finished up watching, um, you know, the Cat People remake, and I said to myself, I'm like, man, I really need something to just look at the screen and just not take serious. And, and I just recently got uh class of Newcomb, class of Newcomb high part two, the Blu-ray in and that I had came to pop out finally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, I need to pop this in. I was fucking roaring. I was having a blast. I was really, really enjoying it, but it's just like, it's such a stupid movie. It's so much fun, but I just needed that change. You yeah. know, I was like on serious overload. And, and I think what I'm saying is like change is super good, man. Like sometimes if you get into those modes and, Depending on when you're watching films and things like that, sometimes you don't enjoy them as much as you m- probably would if you're, mm-hmm. you know, if things were mixed up and things like that. So, see, that happens to me all the time, but yeah. in the opposite way, where it feels like I'm not, I'm watching everything. I'm watching everything I'm watching is just silly or not serious or not well made. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to, those tend to wear thin on me faster than when I'm watching all serious because I'm still not burnt out on watching serious movies and mm-hmm. I've pretty much done it. See, I love to laugh, laugh, right? I love to laugh. So like I can throw on, you know, uh, you know, class of Nukem high part two and sit there and, and fucking start laughing instantly. I'm not <laughs> trying like, to brag or anything, but I laugh so much at work every day that mm-hmm. I don't even need to laugh when I come home. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird thing. Well, I mean, that's good though. If you're laughing at work, I mean, at least you're not taking your shit. Yeah, the, that's the only reason I've stayed at this job because yeah. it's, it's, I have so much fun with the people there. Mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. shitty pay but it, it's fun it, so i'm like not hating my life <laughs> yeah that would just be abysmal man if you know shitty pay but like r- super lame to go to everyone's all super serious and oh that would just be that would be horrible yeah, <laughs> one horrible. thing i wanted to say moods before we move on out of here is that the re- the reviews like thank you so much for the re- reviews derek did leave us one wicked awesome podcast great conversation about horror films topics and really interesting reviews and the hosts are awesome thank I, you, I agree with all of that derek by the way uh so th- thank you for that review he gave us a five-star rating as well uh derek might be a little bit biased but <laughs> i'm still say- i'm still sticking to it that we're awesome and then the second uh, review came from somebody who I actually don't know. So this one is just a random ass person. Uh, Your mama's man. If it, the, this podcast is amazing. Five stars. If you love horror movies, then this is the podcast for you. Exclamation point. Thank wow. you guys so much for the reviews. Anybody who's interested in potentially – I'll, I'll think of something cool to send. If, if, we, get, if we get ten reviews – Within the next three months, I will give something away that that'll be well worth it. Yeah, man, y'all names go into a hat or whatever randomizer. So who knows? It, and then pick pick somebody out of there, and then yeah, man, you guys win a copy of Class of Newcomb High Part Two on Blu-ray. <laughs> if we get over ten ten reviews or over by March twenty second, uh, I will give you guys something cool. Class of Newcomb High Blu-ray. Wait, sure. <laughs> I don't know why. This is the last thing I well, said. I, but. I, I had like, I was going to, yeah, we'll do that. 
class in Newcomb High. <laughs> that doesn't have to be that, but no, but no, that's that's very cool, man. You know, the best thing about that, uh, you know, that review from someone that we don't know is he put emphasis into it. He left a exclamation point at the end, so you know he's really digging it. Yeah, you know, well, that's, and that's what made it all worthwhile just to read that out. And I was like, you know, and that's cool, man. It's like, you know, I stay away from the news because I like to be shocked on the on the show. So apparently I, I stay away from the reviews too, to be shocked that way also. That was cool. That was very cool. Yeah. You know, so Derek the, actually had six exclamation points in his sentence. So Derek likes the exclamation points. I have to say <laughs> He's, he, he sometimes even abuses that. Like sometimes, you know, he'll be writing something. And I'll actually count him and be like, man, he left nine in that sentence. That's pretty good. He's really, really excited about that. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with being excited. You know, it's just it just it looks very enthusiastic. It's good. It's good. Yeah. So. So. Yep. But yeah. Um, all right. So do we got some news? Yeah, we got a little bit of news here. Not not much this week. The first little bit of news I thought was just cool. It's not necessarily news, but it's like of note. And that is that El Ray is going to be marathoning the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And it's actually going to be hosted by Robert England, which I find super cool. It, it's like a throwback to where I was a kid and like Joe Bob Briggs was hosting these horror movies yeah. and talking about them. I've always been a fan of that format where during the commercial breaks you have the – an actor or just a host and they talk about the movie and they talk about its legacy and its history and behind the scenes stuff. It's such a, it, it makes you want to stick around and watch the films. You know? Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I was looking at the lineup on, uh, or the schedule lineup for it and there's no part six or seven. Yeah. And is there a reason for that? I think it just has to do with the, there's also no remake probably has well, to the, do with the remake the, makes sense. I mean, nobody wants to watch it anyway. So, <laughs> Well, what, could you imagine Robert England like taking a break f- and the remake just goes to commercial and he's like, so that was Jack Errol Haley's performance of Freddy. It sucked. I, I know. I could just see. I, I would actually pay to see him introducing that movie, you know, yeah. and being serious about it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it would ever happen. So, yeah. so basically this is um, going to be on Valentine's Day, 45 hours straight of Nightmare on Elm Street and – it's it's something that's really neat. They I think that it probably has to do with maybe like a rights thing. They probably just couldn't get those ones or. But not why really not? Sure. Though? But why not though? They're the same studio. Yeah, I don't know. I, that, I don't that's know. why I was confused because I was thinking, no, I was like, those are totally the same studio. So I I don't know what's going on there. Well, I, I do I, I, know. Back in the day, Monster Vision Friday the Thirteenth. I remember I was there. I watched it. Joe Bob Briggs actually was tripping because they didn't have the rights to show part four. And he's like, there's crucial plot lines in part four. We only have one, two, three, five, and six and seven, I think. And, you know, as you know, that the other, Paramount had done all seven of those. Exactly, so exactly. I don't know what the what the difference was. I, I honestly don't know. But they had anyway. to get Corey Feldman to sign off on something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's in part five, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that doesn't make any sense, does it? Fucking strange. So, basically, this is starting Saturday, February 13th. I mean, I am having a difficult time talking today. My my apologies. Uh, Starting at 6 a.m., we're starting with Freddy's Nightmares, Black Tickets, Freddy's Nightmares, Love Stinks, Freddy's Nightmares, The Art of Death, Freddy's Nightmares, No More, Must a Nice Guy, followed by Elm Street 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And then a repeat of Elm Street 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And then Sunday, February 14th, you have Freddy's Nightmares Deadline, Freddy's Nightmares Judy Miller Come On Down, Freddy's Nightmares Saturday Night Special, 
Freddy's Nightmares, Sister's Keeper, and then Elm Street 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then Elm Street 2, 3, 4, 5. Nice. I think that's really cool, man, that they're throwing in Freddy's Nightmares in there. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. It's given people a chance to, you know, check out some episodes that they might have never seen before. Which most people haven't seen anyway. Uh, well, I know. It's just so hard to get a hold of. Of course, it's never been released on media or nothing because of uh, rights issues and things like that. But it's, uh, I remember we, we've talked about this a few times, but man, it's it's a bizarre show. You know, I, I think, think the pilot's one of the coolest things, which I believe is titled, no, I think that's the no more Mr. Nice Guy episode, but and it was directed by Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper, that? yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and it, like some of the episodes are just so strange. But I, you know, that's like one of the most. In, I, I'm just, I want that to come out so bad one day. You know, if we can get the Wonder Years and you know, in full music and everything, it has why, to come out. One why day. can't we get this? Because I think the rights are very similar to this. It has music issues and and things like that. So. Yeah, man, this would be totally cool. But yeah, big ups to El Ray for you know acquiring some of the rights to, you know, to show that on TV. That that's really cool, man. Really yeah, cool. and El Ray is actually a station that I used to watch a lot, and unfortunately, man, I, I wish I got El Ray, it, man. I lost I it. It's it costs a little bit more. It's in a different package now with Directv, and that bummed me out because I used to love El Ray. Yeah, that sucks. I w- I wish we got it up here too because that'd be pretty cool to check out. I've heard really good things about that network, so. Unfortunately, we just don't get it. Yes, but they must. They must be doing pretty good, though. You have to admit. I, I mean, think they are. well, I mean, to get Robert England, because do you honestly think they're like, hey, Robert, uh, we're planning on doing this uh, Nightmare on Elm Street forty-two hour marathon. Um, do you want to jump aboard? We got about <laughs> twenty bucks in a bag of Skittles for you, but uh, no, I, I bet you they're paying them pretty decent to do this. Yeah, probably. You know, so that means that El Ray's doing pretty good because I can't see Robert just being like, yeah, man, I'll, I'm totally down for that forty-two hour marathon. <laughs> it's like yeah i don't know yeah well the i mean i imagine that the he'll probably only record segments for each of the movies and each of the uh yeah well of course of course it's, of course it's all gonna be pre-recorded yeah. i mean he'll probably end up doing maybe like an hour total of uh on-screen you know stuff yeah but at the same time you know it's if they still had to get him he still agreed to do it so that's really cool yeah the the idea that these freddy's nightmares ex- exist I think there's like 40 episodes or something like that. And every episode is introed by Freddy and outroed by Freddy. So there is yeah. so much footage of Freddy that so many people have never even seen. That's right. Because, That's and right. it is ridiculous. It is over the top. I've watched I've watched probably 10 episodes total. And some yeah. episodes actually center around the Freddy Krueger mythos. Like I think like two or three a season – Two or th- mm. two, two to f- two, mm. three, four, or five a season actually are a Freddy story, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the pilot's probably the most interesting of all because it literally is a prequel to the to the Elm Streets. So. Yeah, it's it's totally the backstory, which I thought was really really cool. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, actually good, not bad. Good start. Yeah. Remember, like three four episodes in, like me and you were talking, going, "What? Like this show is weird." It was like super super strange. Ah, yeah, I would love for that to come out, man. So I could actually check them out all, all out. I, I remember renting, um, they, they used to release them on VHS or whatever, like a few episodes on each uh, tape here and there. And, uh, but they were always random I, from what I remember. I don't think they were like, you know, in sequence or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so strange. So I've, I've probably seen like random episodes from season one and two and I have no idea what I've seen, but yeah. Yeah. That needs right. to come out. I agree. That <clears throat> is one of my, that is, I think I did a wish list a while back and, 
Freddy's Nightmares was like at the top of it. I just I feel like there's that void there. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite franchise, and I, I'm just missing like this this part. You know, there's like you said, there's Freddy footage, and there's there's things going on that I just don't have. You, you know, know what I think it, it is? Bugs dude. me. It bugs me, man. I think the the people over at Warner Brothers who I think hold the rights to those right now are just waiting. They're just waiting and they're waiting, waiting, waiting for the perfect for the right time, and they're just gonna pounce it on the fans. Yeah, and I think that I think that th- what they're waiting for is the twenty two shots of moods and horror to record a special Elm Street episode. <laughs> yeah, you think so? I think that's what I, it is. All the guys at Warner Brothers are like, when are these fucking dickheads going to record that? I mean, they're like, seventy episodes show. in. Jesus Christ, they've done Halloween. <laughs> Do the damn show already. We have this shit ready to go. Night. We have this shit ready to go. They're all in beautiful high def transfers and. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, do the fucking show. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. Uh, so, moving on, we have Fox developing a slasher TV show called Dead Mall. Apparently, it's going to be a slasher film set in a mall. Yes, a horror comedy. Horror comedy. Oh come on! Gotta fucking ruin it, JP. Shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. When you say slasher set in a mall, you just move on to the next piece. <laughs> <laughs> you don't tell me it's a fucking horror comedy. Come on. So Damn it's going to be a TV show, horror comedy, set in the mall, set in a mall, and it is Sony Pictures at NBC, I guess. Man, they are just oh, just abusing this TV horror shows, aren't they? They are. So I, it's probably you know playing off the fact that like Final Girls did relatively well, right? Well, we can kind of exploit this horror comedy slasher subgenre that you know is going to be created um is that what that show was called are you talking about scream queens no i'm talking about the movie the final you know just being a like a horror it's like a comedy slasher film right let's roll with that there's like a million a year i can't know but that one is like pg-13 comedy no it's not even like dirty it's like almost tv worthy you know what i'm saying yeah so it's like but i mean that has such a like i mean how much I love horror films set in malls and slasher films, my favorite subgenre. So that was going perfect. Who knows? I can't judge it before it comes. Maybe it's good. And you said it's going to be on Fox? Uh, yes. I think oh. Fox. Fox or NBC. I don't know. I don't. Is that Fox? I'm not sure. No, Fox and NBC are completely different. What the fuck? Really? Put that shit on a good network. Yeah, I'm just completely uninterested, if I'm being honest. Oh, I got to check it out just because I want to see the mall. Yeah, I know, I know it's not going to be like Dawn of the Dead Mall, but maybe it won't even be Chopping Mall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after that, uh, Turbo Kid is getting a U.S. release, and it is a three-disc collector's edition. Looks pretty, pretty. Honestly, it looks better than that steel book. It does. Oh, gee, fucking so pro-American. He's like, fuck Canada, man. Doesn't even give us any credit. He's like, oh man. <laughs> no, I do. I will admit though, like that that edition is pretty cool. But it's just porting over everything that's on our steel book, dude. Is it? Is never... it really everything though? I think so. Well, from what I from what I heard, and it's probably just all rooms. But apparently, all the features that are on this Canadian one are on that. And I didn't hear of anything so else. Is who knows? That Canadian edition three discs as well? Uh, no, it's like fourteen. Fourteen discs? <laughs> no, <laughs> just joking. So okay. So this edition has three discs. Is one of them the soundtrack? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, disc one, Turbo Kid plus commentaries. Uh, disc two, we got making of. Uh, got some other stuff. Still galleries. 
I don't think there is a soundtrack. Oh, so what the fuck's on the? Th- oh, is it is a DVD Blu-ray? And it's then DVD Blu-ray. Oh, okay. So that's why there's three discs. Oh, that would that would have been cool if they incorporated the soundtrack into that. So I would have to take a look to see what the features are, but I don't know why they would have three discs for that edition. If that if there's commentary making that stuff's on there. Does it have the um the short that the movie is based on? T is for Turbo. Yeah. Yeah. Was that so, an ABC's a death submission? That was the one that didn't get picked. Huh. That was the submission that didn't make the movie. So it lost the toilet, probably, huh? It did. It, it lost the toilet. Yep. It huh. totally did. But yeah, I thought that edition looked really cool. And I even I even said that, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I got a double dip. And I'm like, fuck, I can't double dip, man. I can't import that shit. It'll cost me I like probably $400. Buy this movie for another five years. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, is there a retail price on that at all? Yeah, twenty nine ninety nine. Twenty nine. That's it. That's actually uh, not that bad. Yeah, I think so. For three discs, and you know, considering yeah, all, it'll things. be twenty. It'll probably be twenty when it comes out because that's the retail price. Nobody plays retail. Yeah, our steel book up here, I think, was like twenty two ninety nine or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> this one again, has a booklet and stuff. Yeah, I think that one does too. If I vaguely, I can't remember, but but yeah, that's that's cool, man. That that movie's getting that much love already. I mean, it's got quite the following. Which is- yeah, yeah, it did. The, I, I mentioned it in my 365-day challenge on Twitter, and the director liked it. So Nice, nice. He's paying attention. Nice. Cool. So after that, we have Accelerator Media acquiring psychological thriller Sunchoke. Uh, this one, I think I might have actually posted news about this on our website, actually. And uh, this one, I think that it's being described as some sort of mashup that you know how they always do those different like mashups where it's like hey you know this is kind of like this and meets this i think they're calling this one uh similar to like a propulsion by roman polanski Mm-hmm. yeah well, that, that's cool yeah it sounds like kinda, that movie's fucking awesome yeah the the ceo of Exhilarator Media said, Sunchoke is a deeply unsettling psychological thriller in the vein of Roman Polanski's Repulsion that will leave audiences emotionally shaken and questioning the line between reality and nightmare. It's an impressive, assured work that marks Ben Cressaman as an important filmmaker to watch. So, actually, when I posted this news, some people, I believe, who saw this at a festival actually commented and said that it really was good. So, that's good. That's good. Yeah, so if that's it's in that vein, man, that's that sounds worthy of a watch for me. Yep, definitely. And uh, don't know much about it besides that. There is a plot description you can check out on our website, actually. And yeah, it, it, I think it's coming out uh, later this year. I don't know if there was a release date or not. After that, we have Scream Queens, which we mentioned previously, is actually being picked up for a second season. So that's happening. <laughs> I know so much it. enthusiasm, too. Well, that's happening. Yeah. I, I've heard, <laughs> I I've heard, I've heard, heard people things. literally say it's the worst thing on television. Yeah, and then I heard people like Brandon say, like, it is genius. Yeah, but Brandon also loves gravy. And if we're dealing with comedy here, I, I, I think Brandon's retarded. <laughs> like, no, I'm just joking. I have but, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's like... I have literally heard the same thing from worst show on TV to like one of the best things out there. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's, that's a wide range right there. You know, I, I don't think it's something I'd be overly that intrigued by, but yeah, see, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I mean, I can't really, I'm not judging it right now. I, I'd have to check it out. Um, just from what I've heard from, you know, 
you know, reliable sources and things like that. I just don't know what to think of this. So, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I, I doubt I will like it that much, but who knows? I'm not a big fan of like comedy. <laughs> that, that's the thing that well, I mean, come on, man. You don't really have a sense of humor. <laughs> I think I just like I just I'm really you, you have a very distinct sense of humor. That's yeah, what it, it's that's just, what it is. you know, and, and I mean, these things are I mean, I guess I guess to you probably not you know, smartly written. I, I mean, I've heard some people say that it actually is. It's pretty clever and things like that. So who knows? Who really knows what this yeah. shit? I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm honestly just getting tired of the word, the words horror and comedy put together. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I'm just, it's getting abused. If it, if it wasn't, I'll tell you right now, if it wasn't for what we it's do in Shadows and Final Girls this year, I would have totally lost all love for horror comedy but those two films kind of like reminded me that oh yeah this could be fun you know i i, I really enjoyed final yeah, girls. i really enjoyed final girls but you know oddly enough it never even made my top 30 which was kind of weird so i mean That's in a crazy. sense in a sense i guess you know subconsciously it was like it was okay to me you know i mean i liked it but yeah it just wasn't like to the point where i need to buy that shit right now you know, I can't wait to rewatch that movie. So I don't know. I, I just thought like Deathgasm and what we do in the shadows are just so much better, man. So much better. Suburban Gothic. Funny shit. Ray Wise. Yep. You never so, did see it, did you? Nope, I didn't. Dude, that's I a shame, not. man. It was funny. Yeah, I hear that that was, you know, it was weird. It was just one of those names that didn't stay with me. <laughs> What's that? Suburban the, Gothic? Yeah, the title of it just didn't stay with me. I kept oh. forgetting it. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. So after that, we have um, Stranger Things, which is premiering on Netflix this July, starring Renoto, Ren- Winona Ryder. And this one is <laughs> supposed to, yeah. This this is actually going to premiere on Netflix, which Netflix has been doing that quite a bit lately. I believe three Blumhouse films actually just dropped on Netflix out of nowhere a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I've yet to, to hear anything man. about them. Um, Blumhouse is seriously making huge waves. Like we were just talking before the show, how much I love their website and the art type of articles they post. But they're also just they're 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 just putting out a lot of movies. They're they're at least seems passionate. I've heard interviews with them. They they seem you know Jason Blum and and we know from Killer POV those uh, Rebecca McKendry and Rob G Mm -hmm. are like editors over there. So. I just like what they're doing, even though maybe some of their films. Yeah, of course, they're going to have their their cash in films like Sinister 2 where they need to make money. But that gives yeah. them room to make other films that they can take risks on. True that. True that. So I haven't, se- I haven't seen Sinister 2 yet, but, you know, I'll eventually get around to it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just not high priority for me, man. You know, like my thoughts on the first one. I wasn't overly the biggest fan. I really, really preferred the canal, which actually did make my top 30 of this year so yeah which okay so but big ups to blumhouse so man they're doing big things and then the website too man we're just on there pre-gaming it and checking out blumhouse lots of good articles so you guys want some uh interesting reading go check out blumhouse.com yeah definitely that's not a shameless plug because we have nothing to do with blumhouse yeah, we're just giving them props at all shout outs yeah. shout outs to blumhouse and yep. killer pov yep <laughs> so after that we kind of uh find out the that um i guess i could give the description of this one stranger things in a series a young boy vanishes into thin air as friends family and local police search for answers 
they are drawn into an extraordinary mystery involving top secret experiments, terrifying supernatural forces, and one very strange little girl. So that is hitting July 15th. It and does not sound that interesting, little girl. actually. One very me. strange little girl. <laughs> one strange, one very strange little girl. I love that. I love that that's in the description. It's great. Yeah. That doesn't, uh, sound, that doesn't sound great at all. Netflix nabs <laughs> XYZ's post-apocalyptic film arc. Uh, this one is premiering. Actually, doesn't say. Does not say when that one is premiering. <laughs> this news. This news. This week sucks, dude. I was reaching for anything. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic it, thriller. It did seem like it was a rather slow week because just didn't see a lot of things being posted. You know. In my vision, you know, I don't go searching around the net like some people like you do, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it just didn't seem like a lot. Of, I mean, as far as I know, nobody died this week. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. You know, because like I said, I didn't want to start that segment up every week. Well, this week's deaths are. Yeah, that's, that's just yeah. not funny. It's just not funny or fun. Who wants to listen to that every week? Not this guy. Uh, at sundown. <sighs> Jeez, I don't know what my problem is today, guys. <laughs> At Sundown. Sundance, Netflix makes uh, another acquisition called Under the Shadow. Don't really know what that one's about either, but I wrote it down. So, <laughs> uh, the, I, no I mean, honestly, about, dude, the, the problem with some of that news is you, you click on the article. I think I got most of this stuff from Bloody Disgusting, by the way. You click on the article, and then it's just <sighs> – it's stuff that I don't feel like writing down because I don't even want to read back. You know, it's, it's like descriptions of, I don't even like, I'm getting to the point where I don't even want to read descriptions anymore of films. Mm. Yeah. It was kind of like the, the whole American guinea pig thing, how they're making like 4,000 more films. Yeah. Like I was going to report news on American guinea pig and like it's Indiegogo campaign. But the problem is, is like the camp, the, the campaign listing is so long. There's so much to read to. I, I don't even know what's going on. There's like eight films listed. I'm like, are they making eight films or what's going on here? And I didn't feel like reading all of it. So I was like, you know what? I'm not even reporting this. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they are making eight films. Yeah. Cause the Indiegogo, no, I think, for the I think that is the, the thing. Is the Indiegogo time. for the third one? Or second like second one's already done, so that was just funding but for they have like post production and things I like that. I think they have like eighteen thousand of their, uh, I think two thousand that they was looking for. So they were looking for two thousand, got eighteen, something like that. Wow, people are really, really. I know. I mean, the first I, I never got a chance to see it because, of course, same old song and dance. But uh, um, Unearth Films releases in Canada are so expensive. They're like 30, 35 bucks for a DVD. So I never got around to checking that out. Uh, you know, um, bouquet of blood and guts. Um, but yeah, it has its fans though. I, you know, that's another film right there that I've heard everything from one end of the spectrum being like, yeah, it was fucking crazy. Awesome. Great gore. You know, eight, the chosen one did a great job in it. <laughs> and, uh, to the biggest piece of shit I've seen all year. So, yeah. And you know what? That yeah, so they needed they was asking for 2000 and they got 18,000. In their first campaign for the bouquet of blood and guts, they got 35,000. Got, fan. got fans, man. It's got fans. Well, I, I mean, if they got 35, they got 18 on this one, I guess. Some of those fans were let down from the first one, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> That's or, actually or quite just it just it's not as big of a deal, right? When you first announce like American Guinea Pig, it has a bigger boom than like when you announce a sequel. Yeah, I so mean that the, is that is true. So 
the last like, I'm confused on why like they're they're plan like they're thinking that far ahead with like four more films like that's ridiculous. It's not even four. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. And these actually have like legitimate titles. They have them titles too. and directors. Jesus Christ, that's so fucked up, man. Like that's really, you know, putting yourself out there. Like they're planning on. Huh, I, that just blows my mind. I've never seen something like that where so many films are planned. Like a whole franchise is planned out at one time. Yeah, well, I don't think that these are hard to make. Well, I mean, they are doing practical effects. I mean, they're still films, right? Like, I mean, are they? I haven't not- watched it yet, but I've heard people <laughs> say these aren't even films. <laughs> I mean, they're the the effects are good. Just put it that way. So it okay. takes time to do that shit. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, essentially, they're just kind of they're they're gore flicks, right? Tortured gore flicks. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say. I actually don't know. I literally know like zero about it, other than they hit the chosen well, is in the first one. Yeah, I mean, if you you've never seen any of the original guinea pig films, I've seen the first one. The yeah, one with the, it's like not even, it's like twenty four minutes long or something. And it's just some chick like tied up, getting beat. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, fucked. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So the the last little piece of news here, and I said I wasn't even going to talk about this stuff anymore, but it's very simple, and it's non news. It's news that's non news. So David Bruckner, who was originally attached to Friday the Thirteenth. He originally was brought in to do a found footage version. He talked briefly. I forget who did the interview. It might have been Fangoria. He talked briefly about what his ideas were for that and the problems of making a found footage Friday the 13th film. He then says that the studio decided against that and it kind of gave him much more creative freedom to write a Friday the 13th film. So they worked on a... Days and Confused meets Friday the 13th type Friday the 13th film where they really focused on the characters. Uh, so that's kind of what he said his version was going to be. But I just that, don't, I, I'm just so fucking confused like how the found footage angle of Friday the 13th was ever an idea and was actually considered to be a legit idea. I mean, just put it this way. I mean, if if they were considering this like eight years ago, you know, which I think they probably were. <laughs> You know, but like, say if it was like eight years ago, like right in the heyday of like, you know, found footage films. I mean, it's really tailed off. I mean, and how I many think found- that was one of the, the thing with their decision, though, at the end of the day was like, OK, it's like not as hot as it was. Well, that that's exactly what I, I mean. Yeah. Like I said, it would have been it made a lot more sense years and years ago. But now, of course, you got to get away from that idea. Like what is there's no there's no question here. You know, you can't just put out a. I mean, honestly, I bet you the, the fan backlash got to them a little bit on that one. That too. You know, it had to have affected it. But I mean, plus it was past its time. I mean, they've been procrastinating and beating around the bush with these ideas for so long that it affects everything. You know, timing is timing is a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and it's past its time. So you have to revive this. But now it's just getting to the point where, you know, it's going to be what another fucking four years before the film comes out. <laughs> you know, it's getting uh, well, ridiculous. Well, if getting anybody ridiculous. heard my prediction on the uh, podcast the end of the year show podcast where i said i bet you we see a promotional still a teaser poster a trailer some sort of of a solid thing that is grounded to show that this film is in the process of being made nightmare on elm street before we see one for friday 13th or halloween if that makes sense I, i bet we see some sort of promotional piece of something that shows that the film is 
actually being made for Nightmare on Elm Street before we ever see it for Friday the 13th or Halloween. That's my kind of bold prediction. Yeah, I know. These these are all fucking messes right now when it comes yeah. down to it. They're just all a bunch of messes. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's kinda... so disappointing. And I heard somebody – I listened to an episode of Killer POV recently actually. They had Shelly from Friday the 13th Part 3 on there. And one of the things he said was, I think the problem... What, was he really annoying on Killer POV? No, that dude is so different now. He's like... I was, I was just joking. <laughs> uh, but he said one of the things that he thinks that's wrong is that they're overthinking it. Yes. Like they could have made eight Friday the 13th films in the got, four years they've announced one. Holy shit, man. Shelly, you know, he said he, he's basically quoting us. Mm-hmm. He said the same thing. They're overthinking this. Guys, it's a Friday the 13th film. And that's exactly, you know, he said exactly what we did. You know, they made one every year in the 80s. There was no problem writing those or bumping those films out. What's the problem now? Listen, if you and, st- and I, I think mean, Elric still- actually said, They're why over- don't you take, you know, get make $2 million, uh, give it to an up-and-coming director, mm-hmm. somebody who just, just made something hot this, this, this past year, you know, one of the films that maybe made our top 10 list or something, give it to him. Let him write a script, get it, rush it into production, get it out in a year, do the same thing the next year, dude. You're telling me you're not going to make a return on a $2 million Friday the 13th movie? Yeah, Fuck exactly. the $20 million budget, dude. Exactly. You know what I mean? Just you, You're going to make a killing either way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to me. Yeah, it is crazy. It is crazy. It, it, they're completely overthinking this to the point where, oh, we got to do something new. We got to, you know, compete with all this, you know, the, Which these new ideas. Which I'm down for that, for the new thing, I'm not too, saying it's a bad thing. Let's just make another one. <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. They're at the point now where it's been so long in between films that they just need they need to put something out, you know, to kind of keep this thing alive. Um, I mean, all the they, hardcore fans are always still going to be there. But, guys, come on, man. We, You know, just just do something. I'm getting nervous that I might not live to see another one. I'm being serious. Like I love Friday the Thirteenth. Like I could get cancer that's tomorrow. Actually, that's a, that's exactly how I feel with uh, with Nightmare on Elm Street too. Yeah. You know, it's like I mean, after that remake, I was like, oh my god, a piece well, you, of me just you're probably died. not gonna live to see another good one. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not, man. That's so sad. And the Halloween thing, I think, is like even a bigger mess. Yeah, it really is. But you know, that one's just all over the place. I mean, uh, they keep revitalizing the script, and then they just keep dumping them and start. Oh my! Well, that's God. what they did with Friday Thirteenth too. They David Bruckner is no longer attached. That's why he came out and said this stuff. So it, I, it's even more annoying. Yeah, I don't know what they're gonna do. Just, There's just rumors stop they the guns, stop playing with the big guns, and like you said, you know, give some up and coming director a couple million. Do a fucking Friday film, man. They're gonna make money on that. Then they can go and make a bigger one, but work on the scripts in the meantime. Yeah, there there is rumors that with Dimension kind of losing the rights to ha- Halloween that that maybe all the studios dropped what they were doing in order to sort of make a mashup of the characters similar to what, you know, Marvel is doing with all their damn superhero movies because that's like what's hot to do right now. Yeah. Which I, w- I would kind of be in favor for that. But I also heard somebody say, like, how do they do this without making it gimmicky? You don't. Don't do it with that. That's it's going to be gimmicky no matter what. I don't know what that it's you're put taking characters from different movies and having them like battle it out. It's going to be gimmicky. It's going to be it's it's going to be what Fred, Freddy versus Jason was. I don't think you can really do it any other way. Well, they got to bring Shelly back. <laughs> He's dead, dude. 
<laughs> just just the actor. You know, just but, put him in there. It's just, just having him fit his face in there will be enough. The the final thing I want to touch on before we move on from this topic is you did mention about how, you know, it's it's not that hard to just write another Friday the 13th film. Like, they don't have to be super different. And they yeah. don't. But if you look back at them, they were all pretty different. They just had a new concept in each one. Like, part yeah. one is the original slasher. Part two the, was very different. They brought back the sun the killer's no longer a woman. They were the then, same, but different. That you know, it was very much the same formula, but different kind of uh, same formula, same setting, just yeah. different. Well, part just different four, story. you're you're kind of dealing with a kid, and then part yeah. five, they're like, "What if we changed who the killer was?" And then part six is like, "What if we brought back the killer?" And then part seven is like, "What if we made her him face Carrie?" And then part eight is like, "What if we took him on a boat?" And then part nine is yes. like, "What if he went to hell and we killed him off?" And we didn't learn anything from part five. And then, you know, <laughs> Jason X was like, what if we take him to space? And then 11 was, what if we put him up against Freddy Krueger? So they've always been kind of different. Mm. Just add something. Just be like, what if we put him in the winter? You know, that's good enough. That's it. That's right there. That's all you need. Just something little like that. And then you just write another Friday. 13th. That's exactly what the story could be, man. You know, a couple guys that go ice fishing to Crystal Lake and mayhem ensues. There's your fucking movie. It's set in the snow. It's different. And it could look really good. Blood on that white snow. Friday film. Down. down. I'm always there you go, man. You just have a stupid fucking setup. Yeah, a bunch of people are going out there. They bring their uh, their snow huts and, you know, they're fishing. And, well, Jason pops out of nowhere, of course, like he always does. And uh, we, could, we could axe the, the ice fishing thing. No, that, that's how you get them. How are you going to get people out in the wintertime? What do you mean? They go to the cabin in the winter. Like, look at dead snow. Yeah, well, okay, so they go to a cabin, but what are they doing at the cabin? Yeah, I mean, there, you can it's a have and get away. Exactly, but that's just that that's even that's really generic. Yeah, but have, who, have who's something. going ice fishing? You're going to have hot naked girls going ice fishing? Fucking right. Those things are heated, dude. <laughs> Those fucking huts are heated. Dude, you could sit there in your shorts and ice fish, man. It's fucking awesome. So, yeah, you could totally have titties in there. Faux show. Faux show. It's a good setup. I mean, you got to do something else to sit in the cabin and drink. You know, get out there, ice fish, have some naked boobies in the snow. Fuck mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's good. Okay. There's so your film. There's that, your film right that's, there. That's the news. Uh, that's the messiest news we've ever had, probably. <laughs> yeah, nothing overly that's intriguing, but it is what it is, right? You know, yeah. news is news. You know, can't can't help it. She just so. start making up the news. <laughs> just start going. Well, that we just kind of did. We're giving out <laughs> ideas for Friday films like we usually do, but yeah. Alrighty, so moving into uh, mood swings and the um, DVD, uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases for what is this? January twenty sixth, two thousand sixteen. Um, man, this month has been pretty slow, to be honest. It's like Screen Factory and uh, Wild Wild Eye releasing. You know, every week it's the same thing over and over again, isn't it? Um, first up here, we got uh, a film that I've actually heard relatively good things about. Um, I have to I have to admit though, like when I first saw the trailer for this by accident, I was watching TV and the trailer came out because you know I don't watch new trailers and stuff, but it was for something I wasn't overly that intrigued. But uh, I noticed that Jack Black was in it, and I was like, ugh, ugh. It's like my initial thing, like. I'm not a big Jack Black fan. Um, you, you tell me you don't like Jack Black in The Pick of Destiny? I, I don't you see? He's the man. Let me hear you apply. He is Jack Black. A man. He's a shining golden god. I don't mind Tenacious D and stuff like that. It's okay. Uh, but 
whatever. But Jack Black to me is uh, – I need him in small doses. But anyways, <laughs> the new Goosebumps movie is coming out. Which I've heard nothing but good things about, yeah, by the way. And, and so, exactly. So, I mean, I'm going to check it out eventually. I actually meant to go see this in the, at the cinema, but I never got around to it. But, yeah, heard really good things. So that's good. That's a good thing. So, um, Next up here from Screen Factory, we've got a movie that I really didn't know a whole lot about. I've heard of it before. Um, kind of surprised me that they were releasing this, but it's called Jack's, Bla- uh, Jack's Back with James it's Spader. Jack Black. Jack Black. <laughs> I know. Go figure, right? Jack's Black. <laughs> Jack's Back. Um uh, with James Spader, and uh, I believe I'm not sure if this one ever had a release before. I could be wrong, but I'm not even sure if this is like 100% horror. I, I I've heard good things about this one, honestly. I, I think it's like kind of psychological, or I don't know if that's the one, but who knows? But uh, it looks intriguing, anyways. I like James Spader, man. He's pretty cool. He's really good in Crash, in David Lynch, in um, yeah, Lynch's Crash, or <laughs> yeah, um, Cronenberg's Crash. I mean. Yeah, it's it's labeled Strange. under crime horror mystery, so I he does have it. That's under- right. That's right. Okay. Um, oh, it's a not- Jack the Ripper tale, I think. Yeah, yeah. So next up here from Arrow Video, uh, this isn't by any means a horror film, but you know, Arrow releases always seem to kind of get lumped in, you know, cult cinema and things like that. Uh, this one's kind of cool, man. Um, it's called uh, Nakatsu Diamond Guys, and I. It's a three-disc edition. It's got three different movies on it. Uh, Voice Without a Shadow, Red Pier, and The Rambling Guitarist. And I think these are like, uh, I think two of the three are in black and white. And one's in color. They're like kind of um, like 50s, almost like Asian-type high school gangster film. I don't know. I'm not really 100% sure exactly what these are all about. But I've heard good things about this set. So if you're interested in those type of films, check it out. That's just a weird you, release. You know what? Me. I actually got a screener for this today. There oh, really? was uh, one disc, so I don't know if like all three of these films are on the one disc, or they're just sending me one of the films. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, because I, from what I read, the all three films are on three different discs. Yeah, because so. what Arrow does with their screeners is they're not actually the full versions of the films; they're like pre-production copies. Oh, okay. So yeah, they're not like so. I don't know if all three films will be on there, but I'm kind of interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving along, next up here from Screen Factory, we've got a release called Sunny Boy. Which I think is probably the most interesting release that they've done lately because yeah. of like the reputation that this film has. Yeah, I, I love the way this thing's described. It's like, unlike any film you have ever seen, Sunny Boy is an unsettling, wildly wildly bizarre allegory on the devastating effects of child abuse and the violent consequences that follow. That sounds awesome, and it's got David Carradine in it also, and I'm not sure if this one ever had a release either, so that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool It release. also has Brad Dourif in it, the homie Brad D. Nice, nice. Good stuff. Yeah, so that one looks pretty interesting. You know, definitely caught my attention. Uh, next up here is, I believe this is like some type of independent release or whatever, and it's called In the Hell of Dixie. Looks awful. <laughs> just the name is the cover and the name is just it goes hand in hand it's just it looks can shitty. you get any more generic looking than that cover nope moving along man we got uh one here from wild eye and it's called survival knife can you get any more <laughs> generic looking than that it's got a girl with her back to you so you just focus on her ass and she's just holding and knife. she's kind of looking over her shoulder slightly and she's looking over her sunglasses on so it's kind of got like that little paranoid feel to it. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. Wild Eye, whew, they've been releasing some fucking garbage lately. 
like, oh, I can't even explain it. Um, moving along, speaking of Wild Eye, here's another one, and it's called The Thrill of a Kill. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like I said, one thing that uh, Wild Eye is doing really well these days is promoting or, you know, getting their films out there visually. It's very reminiscent of the 80s. Their cover arts are fantastic on these films. And it's very much like the 80s because, you know, you know, in retrospect, a lot of the films back in the day had better cover arts than the films themselves. I think this is kind of the case with a lot of these releases, too. Yeah. Um, you know, the only problem I have with cover art like this, and I've, I've had it my whole life, is that it's just so unreal. Like, that's not what a chainsaw does to somebody's face is if it touches it. It's just not. It's just to me. It just instantly yeah. seems cartoony. That's not I, what happens. I guess, but I mean, for something like this, I guess you gotta kind of disconnect yourself a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, it is. But it's it's eye catching though. Like when you see, yeah, you, you it do focus good. on it, you know. And but who knows for the uh, the quality of the film? I mean, there's been some recent like Acid Bath, or some reviews going around. We're talking like one out of tens and things like that. It had cool cover art, not the greatest, but anyways, the thrill of a kill looks like a slasher film all right moving along here one we got one from uh, tomcat releasing and uh it's called mansion of blood now the cover art is pure shit but it has gary Busey in it that's intriguing it actually is like I, that's I thought gary Busey was dead we would just look past and not ever notice that gary Busey was in it i know like i haven't seen gary Busey in a film probably in a horror film since uh i don't know ginger dead man you know, it's been a while. You, you so. know what's funny is like you mentioned the cover. Like literally, I could probably make this cover. Like if I just mess around with my program a little bit, like I could probably make this. I know it looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that your cover. Well, no, it, it it it's. I'm not a professional. It should look way better than something I could do. I know this just looks so bad. It, it totally looks like you know someone just put this together on some cheap software. Oh, it's god awful, awful. God awful. Goffle. Um, it's goffle. Um, moving along here, we got another one from Wildlife Releasing. What a surprise. And um, this one's called Serial Killer. That's very original. It's actually called Serial Caller, but. Ah, dude, I didn't even notice the A. <laughs> you didn't get a press release for this? No, I didn't because, yeah, I was totally not reading the actual um, Amazon uh, label on. I was reading the cover and it, I just saw Killer. Serial caller, you're right, and it has a phone on it, so that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, got Debbie Roshan in it. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. It's Wild Eye. You know, you just never know what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. You really don't. Mixed bag. Mixed I bag. actually didn't request this one. No, they, they, they released a press release for this one that you could request it. I just didn't go. For I don't. It. I don't remember getting one actually. I might have. I just. I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the shit books with Wild Eye right now because I, I laid down some pretty extremely shitty reviews for him. And I think he <laughs> got pretty pissed off at me. I think I might have got kicked off the list for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's just me being honest. Anyways, moving along. Uh, we got one here from Full Moon. Nah, I forgot ah. they was making shit still. Yeah, me too, man. I thought Charles Bam was just concentrating on doing, uh, you know, I don't know, Puppet Master 11. Yeah, I do hear that they're working on a documentary with him and uh, Roger Corman. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah. I would actually like to see like just a full-blown Richard Ban documentary. Hey, if you ever get the chance moods and any of the listeners, go back 
into Killer POVs archives and listen to the one they did with Charles Ben. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. You told me about that one before. I will for sure. Um, but yeah, from Full Moon, uh, we got one called uh, Sideshow, and who knows? I, I swear this movie was released before, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't know. Anyways, it's called Sideshow, probably obviously to do with uh, circus freaks and things like that. So. You know how Full Moon does it. Who knows? It's kind of a trash cover, by the way. (laughs) Oh, again, yeah, it totally is. You know, it's just as... it's. I I mean, it's better than Mansion of Blood. You know? Definitely better than... I don't know. It's still pretty shitty, though. Fucking Full Moon. Probably cost them three cents to do that. You know? But, moving into the release of the week. And this one right here is, like, absolutely a no-brainer for me. I got to go with Sunny Boy from uh, Screen Factory. So if there's one so, release that you need to pick up this week, got to go with Sunny Boy. David Carradine. Um, who else is in it? Uh, our homie Brad Durf. Oh, Brad Durf. Yeah. Brad Durf is in this one. And it just sounds interesting. And I have heard good things. I believe Zach actually told me this movie's awesome. So that's cool. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, just to remind everybody, even though we do get a lot of awful movies from from scream factory they do release stuff like troll one and two where you can get it for 89 cents in a dump bin or whatever that it seems like people do like to focus on the negative things but we also get stuff like sunny boy which i'm assuming is cool but you know pete the word on the street is that it is and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. as much as they release nine the ninth version of texas chainsaw massacre 2 or whatever there there still are other things there it's not like those things replace these things like they do both people just forget that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is true that is true and getting back to cover arts and stuff i'm still sticking with it i, I you know i was looking at those releases again actually this morning um of because uh, i was going through scream factory's um page and i was seeing what was coming out what dates and things like that and uh um i really don't care for the cover art for village of the damned that much at all it's not it's not really good i i was looking at it, i was like Ugh, i don't know about that man and like you know i mean i know that you really liked um you know chainsaw, the text, two. T- awesome. chainsaw 2 one I, honestly i don't really care for the I, it's a little too busy for me, but it's actually the colors. I don't know. There's something about it. It kind of reminds me of um, the Serpent and the Rainbow one. Do you know what it reminds me of? What's that? Stretch's radio station, which is exactly what it's supposed to remind you of. The yeah. colors, it's the neon. Like, that's what it is. It's that, and whenever you go down into the tunnel with the, all the lights hanging everywhere, it's, it, it re- if you really look at it, it looks exactly like that. Oh no, no, I've analyzed it to death, and it's just it's just the busyness of it. I, I'm a very I like simple things, you but know. But that film, into... that film, if you look down in I... the caves and stuff, it is busy. There's shit everywhere. Oh, I know, I know. But I, sometimes the way I see cover art stuff, it doesn't have to be fully representative of the film. Like I don't need to see you know this and that. And the, okay, yeah, I understand. Like all these things are from the film, but then you know, I mean, I could just have a simple chainsaw with open legs on the cover i'm like yeah but the problem is with that is this isn't to like market the film this is to show this is to represent the film and and it like that's what the the fan or the contemporary cover art is kind of supposed to be i get it i get it i mean it's just difference in uh like what we want to see i i you know i mean busy art to me sometimes is just like holy shit man it gives me googly eyes man 
<laughs> you know, I'm just like, I think it's one uh, of the best covers since Day, Day, Day of the Dead. Yeah, Day of the Dead is I, I really like Day of the Dead, which is very kind of similar in in an aspect. It does have you know scenes of the, I think maybe it's the colors. I, I really like the Day of the Dead you know color scheme on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, you know I, I like the Serpent and the Rainbow one a lot, and you know it's kind of similar in color scheme. I'm assuming it was the same artist. Was it Milner that did those ones? I'm not even sure who did the see the, the, the Village stuff. of the Damned one. Like to go back to that really quick. The reason I don't like that one a lot is I feel like the fa- it's similar to why I didn't like the Sleepaway Camp ones all that much, and it's because the actual art, the the structure of the humans in the in the art just looks a little off. Like their face doesn't look real. It doesn't look natural. The thing I like about Chainsaw 2 is Dennis Hopper looks exactly like Dennis Hopper. Stretch looks exactly like Stretch. And Leatherface looks exactly like Leatherface. That's often kind of forgotten a little bit is when the the, the actual design of the human faces don't look right. And the Village of the Damned one really doesn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have they released the, uh, the um, new art for Death Becomes Her? Is it a collector's edition? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and like coming and speaking of Screen Factory and releasing like strange things and you know in collector's editions to boot, like why Death Becomes Her? Like I know this is one of those releases that people were so confused about in the first place, but why collector's edition? Yeah, I don't know. Like, well, I think what that deter- what I think normally with the collector's edition, the non-collector's edition, really just comes down to like what they can actually acquire. Is there a lot of like pre-existing bonus features? Is there a lot of like people who they can talk to? Like, I, I don't know. Honestly, can't remember. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I have the DVD of this because it's actually kind of a funny film, but it just seems out of place for Screen Factory to release this film. Like, remember, remember when this first got announced? I joked and I said. Did you ever think that Scream Factory would be releasing a film with Meryl Streep in it? Yeah, see, when you say jokes like that, I never really get them because I don't really know who that is. So oh, my God. Meryl Streep like, is I like never... M- Meryl Streep is probably the biggest female actress of like of all time. Like really? she's won. Oh, yeah, dude. She's literally she's won, won what? If you're about to say any kind of award shows I don't follow, that's exactly why. Well, yeah, she's been in like so many fucking huge movies. I've like never... Meryl, Streep, Meryl Streep is kind like of what? a staple of. What has she of, done? What has Meryl Streep done? Yeah. Dude, you guarantee you've never seen any of her movies because you don't watch her. Well, then what the hell? Then why is it so surprising that I've never seen her? No, but it's just. It's I mean, just I've heard name. of her. It's, it's just, it's the, just I don't. Name. Like, yeah. J- it's like Jason Statham. Okay, I've, I've seen like, The River Wild. That's I've seen like seen. three movies with him in it, but I know who he is. You know, it's like there's certain people I do know. That I've never seen any of their movies. Did you say Jason Statham? Yeah, like a British I'm, guy. Yeah, I'm not actually a huge. Yeah, fan. he's been in fucking John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Of course, I know him. Well, there you go. But I'm just saying, <laughs> Meryl Streep. But just you know, long story short, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. I mean, she's legendary. You know, she's like a fucking. She's like a John Wayne, like a household name. Everyone knows her name. But anyways, but the fact of the matter is, this was such a strange movie, even when it came out back in the day. Uh, that you know, like Goldie Hawn, Bruce Willis, and Meryl Streep, like getting strained film, but again, just a weird one from Screen Factory. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. You know would... what? I actually think that they that might be the film where they said they couldn't do new artwork due to legal reasons. Oh, you know what? Cause... They're actually, yeah, they're showing that with the original art as the slipcover. Oh, oh, okay. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they're right. There is no new art, so that's what we're going to get. The original art, crazy. Which isn't even good. No, it's just it. It is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Meryl Streep's head 
turned around makes sense on it to me. But yeah, I don't know, man. That that's one of the weirdest releases by Screen Factory for sure. So yeah, I I gotta be honest. It looks like something I won't even like. So <laughs> I can't I can't imagine you really caring for that film too much, but. <laughs> But anyways, that is going to do it for the uh, the new releases of, uh, the, of, what is it, January 26th, 2016. Man, this month has been slow, though, hasn't it, for releases? Yeah, just a lot of Scream Factories, really. Scream Factories and Wild Day. It's been kind of an odd month. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't believe that we have any voicemails or questions this week, which is... Yeah, we actually did have that one voicemail from Lawrence... Apparently, but apparently it also just cuts out like halfway through. So I don't know if he lost cell service. So Lawrence, if you still wanted to ask that question or whatever he was going to say, just call back. And uh, yeah, it was strange. It got about 17, 18 seconds into it and it was just like cut off. And he was getting into something about zombies and how it's played out. Something like that. That was the full extent of I got out of it. So, yeah. So uh, no voicemails or questions this week, which is very odd. It's been a while since that's happened, actually. Mm-hmm. So, alrighty. So, getting into the corners report of weird stats and morbid facts, courtesy of Rumorg Magazine. This one is coming from issue 152, which is the January February uh, 2015 year end show for 2014. Um, and the reason why I got this one is because I actually just got this in the mail. Uh, they had screwed up because I I order room order. I subscribe to Rumorg Magazine. And when I, my subscription's up in January, right? So it was up last January. Anyways, I resubscribed, but for some weird reason, they never sent me this issue. They started the subscription on the next month. So I had to actually go back and back order this one. I just, I just got it like the other day in the mail. So <laughs> kind of a weird story. I was so pissed that they didn't send me this one because I had subscribed back on time and they just didn't send me this one. It was fucking strange. But anyways, so I had to pick it up because it was like this little void in my collection. It was pissing me off. Um, but anyways, when Anthony Perkins expressed doubts about representing the role of Norman Bates in Psycho 2, Christopher Walken was considered for the role. Perkins, of course, eventually took the role. Could you imagine? Christopher you imagine? Walken as Norman Bates? That would be insane. I can't even imagine what that would sound like. Like, There's people that can really do his voice well and like the way he talks. I wish one of those people were with us right now so they could give us like a Norman like we we like if they was like we all go mad a little sometimes or whatever like if they did it. In yeah, his I don't even want to try it because I, I can't do it. But some people do it so well. Mm-hmm. You know, even the thought of Anthony Perkins not reprising that role, just that's a weird thought. I can't even picture anyone else in that role. You mean not even Vince Vaughn? <laughs> And that's that's my point, you know Vince. Well, for Vince Vaughn, that was just bad cat. He did not fit that role. But you know, if anyone could have stepped in there, I mean, Christopher Walken is kind of creepy looking a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he very much could have kind of stepped in there. Same type of, I guess, build at the time and things like that. So I think it would have worked a lot better than you know Vince Vaughn did in the remake. But um, but Christopher Walken also is he's a unique type actor. I think it would have been a lot better fit. But I don't know, man. Anthony Perkins was the man. You know, oh, most definitely. Just, and, you know, I, I think what helps with both Psycho Four and this Bates Mattel TV show is that they casted a kid to play a kid Norman Bates. So you're, it's not really like the Norman Bates. So it makes it less of a jarring because you're like, oh, it's when he was a kid. Of course, he's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. 
I still need to get into that, man. Yeah. But putting it off way too long, way too long. I've been but, wanting to check it out again, too. Yeah, I know. I keep hearing good things, so. And it seems to be doing well, so what are they? They're in the fourth season. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. Moving along, so yeah. So that is going to do it for uh, Mood Swings. And moving into WWW portion of the show, we haven't done what we watched in. It's a been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a bunch of shows since we've done what we watched. So my personal favorite segment of this show is what we watched. So really, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. No, I love it, man. It's fun. <laughs> it's okay. what's your favorite I, segment then? Um, honestly, man, I like the news. I know it's some people's less favorite because I'm always shocked by it. You know? Yeah. So I think I the know. news would be my favorite had I not been the one going to get the news. <laughs> you know, if it's someone yeah, like that time we had Jeremy do it, I actually enjoyed it a little bit more. I have to agree with that. I probably wouldn't enjoy doing the news or the news if I had to do it either. So, but yeah, what we watched, uh, of course, if you're a first time listener, that is just uh, a rundown of films that, uh, that we've watched over the week. And we just give quick reviews and ratings and we pass the bar along. You want to go first, JP? Yeah, I'll go first. So this one took me six watches to watch this week. Oh, it was six. Yeah. uh, And it's called My Little Eye from 2002. And I'm not saying that it's bad and that's why it took me six watches to watch. I just had the worst week for watching films this week. I watched nothing almost except for these two films that we're covering tonight and this one right here. And the reason is, is just I was like really tired. I also... I, I lied. We, I did watch another film that we for that Martyrs podcast. But, you know, I, it was just something about this week. I, I couldn't get into this film. I couldn't get into any film. But it was mainly this film. It was the way it was filmed because it follows five young people who apply to live in an isolated house together for six months whilst their every move is filmed by numerous cameras. Each has their reason for wanting to be there, whether it's fame, fortune, or you know, whatever. So the, the, there's there's a bunch of people in a house competing for $1 million a la Big Brother or something like the real world. And honestly, I, I'm surprised I never heard of this film because it's kind of gimmicky. You know, 2002, this is like put, like really when reality TV's at its height, like Survivor just uh, aired in 2001. So it's, it's a cool concept and it's a little dated. <laughs> like by little, I mean a lot. So that's part of the problem with this is it's dated. But the other problem, it has this very voyeuristic look to it because there's all these cameras that were kind of point of view, you know. But it's also very weird because they don't expressively say, like, where these cameras are. Like, they seem to be in impossible spots. That There's so many of them that there's literally cameras everywhere. And for 2002, it just seems like... Oh, like this technology probably wouldn't exist to be live streaming like this on the internet. It just seemed a little too big for the time. And especially the when they start talking about like hacking and the server and, you know, it, it comes off so dated towards the end. But it also is kind of a little creepy in that voyeuristic sense. But the camera is also very bad. Like it's not as bad as like Halloween Resurrection where it's – it looks like it's a filter. This just looks like it's filmed with crappier cameras when you're looking at the point of view stuff. And I can't tell if it's like 
all those cameras or if it's supposed to be all those cameras it feels like sometimes there's just like a camera in the center of the room so i'm not re- there's not cameramen either so it's it's a weird they don't really explain it to the audience of like how they're being filmed it's just like there's cameras in the house and then these people start kind of seeing bad things start happening and then they're like oh maybe they're the, the producers of this show is kind of up to something they're very secluded they don't they're, there's not a whole lot of information to the audience which is kind of cool but at the same time it, it kind of just it, we've seen it before but it's not true because at the time we hadn't seen this that much so i don't really know how to really tackle it from seeing it at the point of view that it came out i can only really see it from today's point of view and for that reason it's not the worst movie in the world. Definitely not the best movie in the world. I do think it's pretty much an average film. Maybe slightly above average. Might be worth a watch. Not super good. There's some cool scenes in it, though. I give it a 5 out of 10. 5 out of 10? Wow, I was I was expecting it to go a little lower on that one. No, it's definitely not bad. Like, it's for surely not bad. Yeah. It just took me six watches to watch it. <laughs> I mean, how many films can you honestly say that that's happened to you with? A lot. Really? Six it times? All the time. Like, all the time. Like, it <laughs> happens to me more than you probably know. <laughs> that's crazy. That's yeah, because, so like, I, I always try to, I, I always wait till the last possible moment to watch stuff and then I'm all tired. I have, a, I have a lot of patience, man, but, like, if it was taking me, you know, three four times to get to if i kept falling asleep i probably start to ask myself the question like maybe there's a reason maybe it's not just that i'm tired maybe this movie sucks but it, but it usually is just because i'm tired like yeah. i do that with good movies like stuff we have to watch for the podcast takes me five watches sometimes five five tries five attempts i'm just not i'm i don't watch as many movies as you i can't do it ocd just uh, add whatever you want to call it i just you how many wa- movies do you watch a week you know i watch like four maximum usually and that's a lot for me it seems like it takes up so much time i don't know how you guys do it even even last night man i was just like chilling i watched five straight i did I, you know the last time i did that was probably children of the corn or something like yeah. and it's because i had to i can't remember the last time i did that on my own when i was a kid i used to do it all the time but with technology and like facebook and xbox and stuff i just i i lose patience <laughs> yeah it's actually kind of bad yeah. Alrighty. So, uh, first film this week, uh, I watched from 2015 and, uh, it is called wrecker. Oh, you heard of this one? This. Yeah. I've heard. I almost, I had, I had a, sc- I had a screener opportunity, skipped it. And then I was going to watch it for the 2015 show, but t- somebody told me to skip it. Yeah. I, I actually just got my copy, uh, the other day, um, from anchor Bay. <laughs> it was like out of the blue too. I think like, this is a macabre title in, out here, maybe. Is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, if you're not familiar with Wrecker, it's basically just a, a Canadian homage to, uh, like, films like Duel and, you know, things like that. It's pretty much like Duel, actually. Um, Let me and, ask you and, something. Yeah. Is it a homage or is it a ripoff? Because I've heard it be described as a ripoff. Well, no, it literally says on the back that it's actually a homage to road classics like Duel and Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, but that's from the marketing. True. Um, you know, I mean, I guess I, I would have to talk to the director specifically. <laughs> but there is, a, there is a couple scenes in this film that are straight homages to Duel. Like, they're taken right from the film. So I'm assuming that he's given a kind of a shout out to Duel. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, the premise of this one is basically about two females in this one instead of like one guy in duel. Uh, they're just on a road trip to wherever they're heading somewhere. Anyways, of course they come and, uh, uh, they start having a little issues with this truck driver who's actually, it's, um, it's kind of like he's pulling another vehicle, which is, which is such a strange premise in itself. Um, you know, he's basically just, uh, uh, what do you call him? Um, you know, the people that pick up fucking cars. What are they called? Tow truck. Tow truck. Holy shit. I couldn't think of a fucking word. But yeah, <laughs> but it's it's an odd tow truck. It's a rig. It's like a full rig, kind of like in Duel, but, you know, kind of converted into like a tow truck. It's it's kind of a strange setup. But anyways, uh, they kind of have this run in with this driver and then they start getting they get into this cat and mouse game. Very simple. It's pretty much the exact same as uh, Duel. Um now, my thoughts on this one, yeah, you know, I noticed a couple things right off the bat. There was a couple, you know, straight up homage scenes to, uh, you know, from Duel. Um, most notably, there's a scene in a diner where, you know, they stop in to eat and stuff. And then, of course, the truck pulls in and they have a freak out on this guest and it turns out not to be that person and things like that. And then there's another scene where the truck stops on the hill and they're there. And, you know, so there's those blatant things. So uh, getting back to the ripoff thing, I'm not 100% sure if that's what they were fully going for, but... Who really knows? Um, this one right here is, oh, man, it, it's just, it's, it's a piece of cinema that is just like, it's too convenient for its own good. You know, everything that could go wrong goes wrong, you know, in this one. But the thing that this film lacks is just, you know, it, it, it lacks action <laughs> for lack of a better term. There's not really a lot of dueling going in on in this film and stuff like that. There's not really a lot of tense moments, you know, for a film that's supposed to take place on the road, you know, with a big rig and a car, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because, you know, the girls are driving a five liter Mustang. It's a brand new five liter Mustang. And theoretically that car should be able to blow this, this junky uh, tow truck out of the water right there. I hate the setup because in dual, he's driving a very normal type car, like a normal sedan type thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, it makes a little sense that, you know, he would have problems getting away from that, that junkie rig because this thing's got power. In this case, it doesn't make any sense. They, they, they beefed up the car too much. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Of course, they can't escape this truck and they start running into situations where everywhere they go, phones don't work. They have no cell service. They even go into a bathroom where the fucking water doesn't work. There's no soap in the dispenser. There's like nothing is going right for these girls, you know, and things like that. And, you know, it's just all these kind of like weird things, but just not enough action and suspense to keep you intrigued in this one. It's very odd. Um, You know, there becomes a point in the film where one of the girls actually gets abducted. And so she's trying to chase. Now she's after this guy and blah, blah, blah. It's just not believable. I really don't like the direction in the film that they took with this. Um, I will say there is kind of a twist towards the end of the film. But with that said, it's just it's just not that great. You know, there's predictable moments in this. There's a very, very predictable moment with a cop. And I was like, Hey, this is going to happen. It fucking does. Um, another problem with this film, it's, it's rated 14, a PG 13 or whatever. Um, so there's not really a lot of gore. Is that Canada's PG 13, 14, a, yeah, 14, a is the same, but there is, I think there's a PG 13 and 14. a. I think there might be two different ones. I'm not hundred percent sure, but yeah, this one just kind of lacks in all that. It doesn't have any of those real tense moments, which is such a problem in a road, road horror film. Um, I will say the acting is pretty good though. The girls do a good job in this one. Um, you know, I, I just didn't like the way they had them driving a five liter Mustang. It's just the probability of it doesn't make sense. Cause those cars should be able to pull this thing out of the water. And I didn't like the look of the truck either. They used a truck that was so kind of new looking. It, it didn't have that. 
you know, that rusty, shitty look of the truck from Duel. You know, if they're trying to do a full out one, it's just the truck wasn't scary. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I will say the one interesting thing about this movie is that it was all filmed in, in BC where I live. And I didn't know that going into the film. I knew it was Canadian. I didn't know it was all filmed in BC. So when I was watching the movie, I was recognizing scenery and roads that I've you know driven on a million times and things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. The cinematography, catching the mountains and things like that, I thought was it was well done. But for me personally, it was an interesting watch because I was seeing total continuity issues with the way that it was edited and stuff to the average viewer that doesn't know bc you would know you wouldn't know any different but there's scenes where you know they're driving on the road and it's next to the river and next scene it's kind of like in this full-out desert area which i know exactly where that is like in a place called cash creek they're driving in the canyon and things like that so the way it's edited it's kind of funny to me as you know a local someone that's from bc seeing that i'm like that doesn't make any sense um but you know with that said it's it's just a minor nitpick it's not really anything to you know whatever but it was shot well. I thought the acting was pretty decent in this film. But yeah, it's just it, this movie just, like I say, completely lacks in suspense. And that's the biggest issue with this movie. It's just too convenient for its own good, predictable. And I have to say, man, the ending of this movie, man, was just a disaster, a fucking disaster. There is I heard Jason say that. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> leading up to the end. And like I said, you know, oh, my God. OK, so there's this twist and you're like, OK. And then, but the actual end of the film, oh my God, it is so, so bad. And it's disappointing too that they, you know, this whole movie is, it is what it is. And then this end scene happens and you're like, what the fuck? It just ruins everything that you could have possibly been liking up to that point. It was, it was devastating. And then of course there's this really cheesy last uh, shot in the film too, that just really puts the icing on the cake. You know what I'm saying? It's just... It's a very forgettable film. And, you know, I've stressed this many times in the past. I love road horror films. And I know you do too, JP. This one right here is very, very forgettable. And it's just such a it's such a shame that they tamed down this shit, mm-hmm. man. Like 14A, come on, man. There's like no blood, gore. You know, it's just, just not a lot going on with a really shitty ending. Very disappointing film. I'm going to give it 3 out of 10. Hmm. Yeah, it's Jeez. just there's not, there's not a lot to take away from this. Like I said, some of the, like I really like that it was filmed in BC and that just seeing those roads. Like I've drove on a million times. Like it's right down to Vancouver and things like that. Very cool, but just unbelievable moments. Like, are you kidding me? A five liter Mustang against this fucking rig? Think about that for a second. I don't know anything about cars or what okay, that well, even for, means. First of all, if you were driving a five liter, like it has enough horsepower. It's you know I've I've driven them before you would be able to blow this thing out of the water. That, that, that rig would never be able to catch up to you, especially pulling a fucking car. It's a tow truck. Well, you know what they say, man, women drivers and such. So yeah, I actually, I actually didn't want to bring that up, but I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. Maybe it has something to do with them, you know, being a woman driver and stuff, but I just didn't like the, you know, the convenience of things not working and, you know, in the film, it's just, it, it was becoming a disaster. The script was yeah. bad. There's really no like, direction of this you know oh we'll throw in this little twist at the end here and maybe that'll fucking perk things up and it's like no it doesn't work i mean if oh dude cg cg end that's all i'm gonna say it's fucking terrible jason said that as well oh god he's so he he really kind of said stuff about the cg (laughs) oh it is bad dude like i and it's and it's so much more noticeable in a film that doesn't have any up into that point. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's this normal road horror film and then all of a sudden you have this big CG moment and you're like – it's like ultimately devastating to watch. You're just like, no. <laughs> it's horrible. 
All right. So, yeah. so I believe we're doing segments now. And my segment this week will be pick of the week. I did not have a horror 101 or a closer look at it or anything like that. But we got we got a uh, old school pick of the week here. And this one is also from 2002. Moods had reviewed it on the podcast before, and it is titled Death Watch. Death Watch is a film set in 1917, World War One, and I love, 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 love the concept of war horror films. Barely ever done, but I love war films. I love war, uh, the history of war, stuff like that, and horror. I just think could go so well with it war horror war horror yeah so we're following <laughs> a uh, british group of soldiers who are pushing forward towards a german trench in a foggy night uh, they capture one of the german soldiers that advises them that this trench is actually evil and that it's going to force the soldiers to turn and on each other and kill each other and uh, he tells them to leave the place of course of course like the american soldiers are like yeah whatever dude (laughs) you're a german soldier we're not going to listen to you and uh, one of the soldiers in the british uh company is shakespeare charlie shakespeare and he is actually under the age of 18 he kind of lied to get in there which was very common of that era you know civil war world war one era where people would lie teenagers would lie to about their age that they were 18 so they go to war and uh yeah so then all kind of creepy uh dark stuff starts happening one of the things that i'll say right away about this film is the atmosphere is so rich and thick that you can't help but fall in love with it the setting that is the key word in this film setting is brilliant like literally brilliant the setting in the trenches the mud, mm-hmm. the rats, the just depressing vibe. Yeah. It rains nonstop. They're covered in mud. They have these I know, coats right? on. It, 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 the, the mud is literally doesn't it feel uncomfortable on everything? It, yeah. yeah, it it's the best trenches. I'm so realistic yeah. looking in, in these trenches. The, the the set designer, whoever the people are that made this goddamn set, need to work on like the biggest films ever because it looked so real the vibe was there i felt claustrophobic i felt like they're stuck in this depressing place which uh, you know honestly if you look into any history of war stories like people would spend weeks in trenches just up to their ass in mud and and just stuck there with rats and the dead bodies like you can almost smell them because that's what it was. They were just they, – they, they, what are you going to do with them? You can't – going to put them somewhere else? <laughs> They're just there, man. And I think that that – like the film itself, like the storyline and stuff, it's kind of basic. There's there's not much to it. There are some creepy shots and nighttime stuff and it kind of plays out I guess almost how you would expect. I thought the ending was pretty decent. But it really is just the atmosphere and the setting. I love that about it. it, it it's honestly – one that I want to recommend to so many people just based on the look. Like I, I just was so obsessed with the way that it looked. Another film that we talked about a long time ago called The Squad also had a great look to it, but the story was just garbage and it was, you know, a war horror. Yeah, uh, very disappointing. Yeah, this one is a lot better than that. The setting is key here. I'm not going to tell you too much about the, the plot and stuff like that, uh, you know, how it ends, but, it, yeah. you know, 
decent, decent stuff here. I give it – the only other thing I'll say before I get into my rating is I think the main problem comes from it. The, the, the main issue that I think could have really elevated the film was the fact that you have Shakespeare and you have like one or two other guys. But one thing that you always look at, at war horror fil- or war films in general, one thing that you always see is the characters. They always make these characters stand out unique because they're all sort of dressed the same. Like you have to make them have a personality, have a history. You have to make it to where these characters feel like unique individuals because then you care about them when they die. It's very important in war uh, films. Mm -hmm. This film doesn't do that well. Uh, It does it okay, but not well. And that's one of the the things that I think could have made this film really shine. Uh, I give this one a 7.5 out of 10. If you're curious on another take on this film, you could also go back to episode number 34, which where Moods discusses it. He gave it a 7 out of 10. Wow, you actually give it a higher rating than me. Yeah, Crazy. 0.5 higher. Crazy. Yeah, I thought that movie was pretty interesting. Definitely the look was the coolest thing about the film, though. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I just Those trenches see. were fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Alrighty. Um, yeah, so getting into my Italian stallion of the week, we go back to 1972. Uh, this is a giallo, and it's called The Red Lady. <laughs> the Red La- The Lady in Red Kills Seven Times. Or, <laughs> or this movie has like tons of different titles. That's what the INDB title is. The DVD I have is called The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. You know how it is, man, with these Italian films. They got like millions of different uh <laughs> of titles and things like that right um <clears throat> but yeah you know I, i'd always heard of this film and never had a chance to see it because it didn't it doesn't have a release over here this is actually a german dvd that i picked up which you know i had to search around to make sure it had um uh italian or italians <laughs> it had english language on it and i have to give my man zach all the credit for finding this one because he actually found this copy and he's like, oh, check this out. I'm like, holy shit, there's actually a copy of that? So big ups to Zach for finding this one because, uh, yeah, pretty cool film. Uh, but the premise of this one, basically, I'll give a little bit of the backstory because <clears throat> it's pretty much the whole story of the film. It's basically, it takes place like, you know, 100 years prior. And there's this myth of this uh, of this red lady. And basically what happens is um, there was two sisters and they were called the red lady and the black lady. And these sisters, they hated each other with a passion. Uh, for whatever reasons, um, one night this uh, this black lady she enters her sister's room and stabs her seven times and kills her. Um, of course, one year later, uh, the red lady rises from the grave and she k- ends up killing six innocent people. And the seventh victim was her uh, sister, which is also known as the black lady. Now the myth is is that you know every hundred years this kind of tragedy it repeats itself and you know people start getting picked off. So present day, you got these two sisters living in this castle anyways they end up inheriting their the castle because they live there with their uncle and their uncle passes away and things like that and of course right after this happens uh innocent people start winding up dead and they're wondering if it's you know due to this you know red lady coming back or this red queen coming back from the dead and knocking off people and that's your story right there um now my thoughts on this one you know it's a giallo it's a giallo film but it's kind of different because it has like this kind of you know supernatural angle to it you know, and, you know, in, in typical giallo fashion, for, if you're familiar with them, there's not really a lot of like straight up supernatural giallos. It's not really the thing, right? You know, giallos, it's all about twists and turns. And 
incoherent plot twists and, you know, plot holes and things like that. <laughs> yeah, this movie right here is a prime example of all of that. The Ren Kui kills seven times is a very typical giallo, but it's really good, though. It's really good. Um, you know, this one definitely has some very memorable kills. And that's one thing about giallo films that you always look forward to is the kills. I was very surprised at how awesome the kills were in this. And, you know, I was reading up on it and there is editions of this movie that are heavily cut. And, you know, there was editions that were like 30 minutes shorter and stuff. And I was like, holy fuck. Um, but yeah, this one is a company with really good kills. Of course, it has an early 70s color blood and stuff, which is, you know, ridiculous. I know you hate that and stuff, but it's kind of funny to look at. Yeah. Uh, it has beautiful women in it, lots of nudity, gratuitous nudity. It's not like sleazy, sleazy nudity. There's just there's a quite a bit, but the cast is fantastic. But the thing that keeps this movie going is just all the characters. There's tons of characters in this. It kind of keeps you guessing, going, you know, is it her sister? Is it not? Is it the supernatural? You know, you don't really know what the hell is going on because there's this police investigation. They keep leading, you know, in one direction. Brings you over here, brings you over there, and things like that. And it's kind of cool because there's a lot of characters in this, and it's at times it's almost like hard to keep track of. It's like, okay, what's going on? Um, a company with you know obvious plot holes and things like that. But I really did like the end, though. The end of the movie was good. You know, everything leading up to it was fun. It was good to look at. It had good visuals, good set pieces. Like I said, the kills were fit. The, the kills are fantastic. Um, but the the scenes and uh, you know the setting and stuff just really well done. Love the castle. Love the water. Everything about it was really cool and stuff. But the whole third act in this movie is just crazy. And then the whole explanation for what happens is like so incoherent. You're like, really? But it's like it's it makes you smile. And you're like, OK, well, I guess I'll buy into that. You know, there's even scenes in the end with like rats and like crazy underground tunnels. And it's really cool, man. This one I had a lot of fun with, man. I thought it was just a blast. Really, really good stuff. Um, this one has a very early entry by Sybil Dannings in this film of all people in 1972 in this Italian giallo. Isn't that crazy? I was like, that's, you know, really kind of strange, very unrecognizable, but Barbara Boucher is like the main character in this film. Very, very beautiful and stuff. But yeah, if you've never seen the red queen kill seven times and you like your giallos, check this out, man. It has all those things that you look for in a giallo. Um, like I said, very fun stuff. I give it about an eight out of 10. Hmm. Cool. That's going to be one that's going to be hard to remember the title. <laughs> I know, right? The, the Red Queen Kills Seven Times. That's the the title I have on here. And like I said, the IMDb title is different. But when you type it in, it says it comes up as that. So you know how it is, man. These movies, yeah. like I said, there's, there's so many different damn titles, man. <laughs> Ridiculous. But yeah, super fun film, though, I have to say. And, you know, the transfer on the DVD was good. It was good. So good colors. Good colors. So yeah. All right. Good awesome. Stuff. Alrighty, so getting into the main featured reviews of the night. Yes, uh, we're going to be starting out here with a film from 1942, um, directed by Jacques Turner. Turner, I can never pronounce this guy's name, man. I don't know. Um, but produced by the, you know, I think it's the, just Jacques Turner. Something like that. Yeah, I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Probably butchering. You know me with names. I'm butchering things all the time but uh produced by the um the infamous val luton um i think he produced i want to say nine or ten horror films you know in his in his career and stuff like that and this is one of them i think this is the very first one that he had done so uh and it of course is cat people from like i said 1942 uh yeah like directly right in the middle of world war ii yeah um but getting into the uh the brief synopsis of this film I'll just read off the INDB. 
synopsis of it. It says an American man marries a Serbian immigrant who fears that she will turn into the cat person of her homeland's fables if they are intimate together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, intimate together, huh? If they are intimate. So she's fearing something. Um, so what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, first of all, I, lo- I, I, I like that technically it's pretty goddamn well done in terms of just like for its time. I've heard people talk about this film a lot of, of, about how certain things are very innovative. I'm pretty sure I've heard people compare this to like the first jump scare uh, utilized in late in the film with a, uh, I believe, a bus. Yeah, with the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this film actually is credited for that. Which is, Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, we really do probably won't know. But it is credited as the first jump scare. <laughs> I think cool. that's cool, though. So I recognize that stuff right away. Like technically, yeah, um, there's a lot of interesting, you know, camera work and uh, you know different music cues and stuff like that. That's very effective. I mean, it, it, when you really pay attention to that scene with the bus, um, it really is like exactly how you jump scare you have a certain noise and it's you know the camera's going a certain way and then something comes from the other side and has a similar sound to what you're currently in fear of in that case it's a cat and the Mm. bus makes a like sound like almost like a hissing or something which is you know it's pretty cool i've I've actually seen videos break down that scene why it's effective and why it's been used over and over and over again in you know Hollywood and film throughout history. Yeah, it, it is very interesting that it came from this film too because it's um, it doesn't really appear to be that type of film that's probably going to start jump scaring you. No. It's a very it's a very slow paced film with um, with a storyline that is out there, but you know it's very subtle in itself too. Th- this film to me is is so much a product of its time. You know, there's so many subtleties in this movie that, you know, that they were trying to get across with, you know, visuals and stuff, but they can't that they just couldn't say at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was like simple little things like, you know, um, the couple dealing with adultery and, you know, just, uh, you know, just general relationship stuff. Because back in the 40s, you didn't talk about those things. Like if you were having difficulties in your relationship and stuff, even them going, you know, even um, I guess uh, Oliver, you know, getting his wife help. You know, sending her to the psychiatrist and stuff was yeah. is is interesting. It's it's like it's almost like risky, you know. Like you didn't really you know talk about that, and those yeah. things just never kind of got out. So there's all these kind of weird subtleties that are happening in the film and things like that. I think that's actually kind of interesting how they did it. But yeah, you know. and it really watching a film like this now, where Facebook is so you know prevalent in time and everybody airs their dirty laundry and stuff you kind of do remember a little bit like holy crap everything was so much simpler and and you know kept behind closed yeah. doors back then and that's what i like about this film like i said it's just it's a very subtle like the story and its subtlety and it's executed pretty good because it has a psychology to it that you don't really know if it's like in her head or if she's just totally believing this fable you know, if it's, you know, you know, you're always kind of wondering as the viewer, you know, if it's if it's true, you know, if she has sexual relations with a normal man, is she going to turn into a cat or whatever? Because they bring in the whole psych psychiatrist thing. And, you know, they yeah. kind of, you know, the, they kind the of sexual all... relations are also very like 
under lock and key in this one. It's very subtle. And it's like I said, it's a time of its product, too, because that's a good point, because um, I love it. Like, I love how they do it, though, because I mean, the movie's really short, so they kind of get right into it. But, you know, uh, Lorena is it Irina, Irina and uh, Oliver, they, um, you know, they meet, they get married like super fast. Super like in the, fast. They, they don't, don't spend, spend much seems, time like, with fast. that. Yeah, it actually in today's time. It, that's the wrong way to do it. Like you wouldn't do it that way in today's yeah no, no. in modern times because there's no. no development to that story and audiences would be thrown off by it. So that that's definitely something yeah. that is also of the time is to be able it, to just do scenes like that and storylines like that really quickly. Hundred percent because it totally worked in 1942. But when you watch it now, you're like, you know what? That just it just doesn't work because they have not only not had sex, obviously, <laughs> they haven't even kissed. You know, and yeah. they don't really, and they don't even say that in the film. Like I said, it's all subtle, you know, so like, you know, you're dealing with like all this general relationship stuff that's just kind of beaten around the bush in the film. And it's got like this, I don't know. Yeah, it's this, almost they use like the kiss in, in, in exchange, like in the remake that it's about sex. But in this one, it seems more about like kit, the kiss and just like more simple. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, such a, just a subtle, very, very subtle film. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of those moments, you know, that, you know, even from the 40s, I, I would like to know what people thought of a film like this in the 40s, because, you know, the hints are there, you know, like the scene where Oliver's, you know, sitting by uh, the water cooler and he's talking to his um, his coworker who quite clearly is in love with him. Right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's a very it's a very awkward scene. And you can only see this in movies back then because it's just being acted out. There's nothing there's nothing in the dialogue that states that like, you know, she's, you know, really into him and things like that. I just find it so interesting because it's such an awkward moment in the film because he's telling her that, you know, he can't leave his wife and things like that because it's just not appropriate, you know, blah, 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 because she might be sick and things like that. And then she starts to cry. You know, it's like this really strange moment in the film. I, I always think that moment is like, who cries over that? You know, is she crying because she feels bad for, for Irene? Or is she crying because, well, she's not going to get Oliver? Yeah, it's it seems like a different, once again, a different time. That, oh, I know. That's something you would kind of cry over. Um, there, there's like a kind of a thick mythology to this film as well, which I, I'm a fan of mythology in films. I'm a fan of uh, taking like a story and kind of creating rules and, and stuff around it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a bizarre one, honestly. Like the idea that, like you turn into a cat yeah it's not and even in the remake you know uh, we'll get to it it's they're not cat people they just literally turn into cats it's Mm -hmm. not even like like a cat like creature it's a cat yeah (laughs) i mean i I mean that's the thing they they beat around in this one and things like that but in the in the remake they they kind of change it a little bit you know you know with having sex with a normal person uh turns you into a cat you know, and then you have to kill to, you know, to regain your 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 human form, right? Yeah, and things like that. So that's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, this this film right here is like is just the meaning of it. It's very kind of progressive for its time too, because 1942, you know, the film noir genre didn't exist, and you know, and this movie is kind of like an early adaptation of like a film noir in a way, because you know. Quite obviously, it's dealing with the sexual motivations and things like that. And, you know, it's very stylized and things like that. So, you know, in in that sense, it's kind of ahead of its time. You know, of course, with, um, you know, the, uh, you know, well, the jump when, scare when too. When would you say that the film noir genre started? 
Uh, I believe it started in the 50s, right? I, so it was, I was, it was pretty well, certain that it started in the 40s. I think it. I think officially be, it became a thing in the early. I, I'm not exactly sure on the the dates and stuff. Because I know for a fa- I've seen one film called The Maltese Falcon, which is considered one of the early noirs, and that was from '41. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, this film is actually classified on IMD as horror, thriller, and film noir, mm. which is interesting, right? Because yeah. I can't think of another time that we've reviewed a film that was considered a film noir. I know it's very strange. Like this one is, you know, the horror elements in this film are very, well, they're subtle. Like the whole film is, Yeah, you know, so why not the film, the war aspect of it too? You know, it's, it's based, it's about a relationship and it's, you know, in a way it's kind of supposed to be kind of psychological, but in a sense, it theoretically really isn't, you know, once you kind of get down to it and things like that. But, you know, I've read a lot of different things about this film too, that, you know, um, that she was just, you know, she's very confused because the film definitely is about sexual confusion, right? Yeah, that's a metaphor for the cat thing. Exactly. And, you know, it could be played as, you know, if she never does turn into a cat or whatever, you know, it could be just a huge metaphor for her, you know, her sexuality and, and lesbianism. And things like that too, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of interesting. It's just like a huge effort. You so you can kind of look at this film in like different ways, really, and just kind of perceive it in different ways. So, yeah, but. one of the issues that I was actually having with this film is that I, for one, it's out of print, so um, I did I didn't have a means to like an official copy, so I just watched it on YouTube, mm-hmm. and I should have actually spent the two dollars and rented it because the the. The version on YouTube was in parts and the film quality wasn't the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't bad either. It was just standard def though. Like just, you know, on YouTube, it, it was just, it, it just wasn't as good as I was, uh, you know, wished that it would have. So I feel like some of the scenes that are supposed to be like filled with tension or suspense, uh, you know, the actual very few scenes of thrillingness that's supposed to like scare you. Uh, it just maybe it didn't come across, across super good for me. But I do feel like this is a film that if you would actually kind of maybe read a little bit about or you would go and listen to yeah, other yeah. people like us or somebody else talk about it and then rewatch it, um, you might pick out a little bit more. You know, I, honestly, if you had like a film professor, like kind of point out all the things that were revolutionary for the time, I think that that's that would be interesting, too, because I know I know there's a lot there. Like I've I've heard people talk about it. I see I've seen some of it for myself in this with the, you know, the jump scare and stuff. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like that that's what I would like most about this film is kind of the history of the film, the mm-hmm. you know stuff that it achieved. Yeah, this this is a this is a film that, you know, pr- predominantly just kind of relies on the myth of it. You know, is the myth true? And that's where the psychology comes in. And there's very little suspenseful moments. I, I think really the, the most suspenseful moment in the film is, you know, the pool scene where you see the shadow of, you know, the of the cat and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that and that's generally what it is. But even the setup to that scene I, I never really cared for too much because I don't know, man, it just seems it just seems so obvious. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. No, no, you're right. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't seem like it's a great setup. You know, it's like she goes in here and all of a sudden, you know, it's like <laughs> it just seems. Kind of, I mean, I guess you know the film being so short and being such a low budget film and stuff to you, I guess you can't really, you know, you can't re- you know develop something bigger. 
you know, for those yeah. moments. So yeah, so the, the horror and the, and the suspense in this one, it's mostly just about the myth and the psychology. That's what this film is. I it's don't just, really it, know if it was that low budget. I mean, is $134,000 low budget in 1942? They had $130,000 for this movie? 134000 Man, I could have sworn. Wow, it's crazy too because you can tell us it's shot on sets and and things like that too. It's it's not on locations. Like it's totally shot on sets. And you, you, I'm really surprised by the budget on that. But you know, I mean, the movie was only 73 minutes. That's why I was assuming that it was very low budget because there's not really a lot of development. Like I said, in the film, uh, you know, Irina and Oliver meet, get married, and you know are, are living their life within 10 minutes of the movie, kind of thing, right? <laughs> they didn't develop anything. So, you do you know that the uh, bus was called the Luton bus was it really <laughs> and uh that's because uh it's you know famous scene created by the producer Val Luton yeah that's cool that's cool um yeah I was just checking out some of the trivia which I like to do from time to time on films mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I don't know man <clears throat> this movie I I've always really you know, enjoyed it for what it is but I will admit though it, it's very slow paced for a 73 minute film yeah, oh yeah. I mean that I I actually <clears throat> specifically remember watching it and you know being in into it a good deep ways and I'm like this is this could as of right now this could not even be considered a horror film. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? It's just nothing that's <clears throat> happening. And uh, it it really does spend a lot of time there's a lot of talking in this film. There's a lot of time spent with the uh relationship and to me personally yeah. I feel like that's where the film becomes problematic because you do it, you do have to kind of put your mind in a weird place because it just doesn't feel like a genuine relationship. Like these two are, have been married yet they've never like kissed or had sex. Well, that's because <laughs> there's no development think? with their characters. It's like they get married and instantly they're having problems. Yeah, right? and it's it, just it doesn't like, seem believable you to can't the viewer. really buy the love. No, right? you, you really can't. No, you really can't. And I know that people say, like, well, you have to put yourself in 1942. You have to put yourself – well, I'm so far removed from the idea that you can marry someone and not have sex that, like, it's hard to put myself in 1942 for that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I mean, was it even, like – is that even, like – I feel like that would even be considered, like, weird back then. (laughs) No, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. One thing I really do enjoy about the film, though, is um, just how it portrays that time period very, you know, the film's trying to look very glamorous. If you notice that, like, you know, they really glamorize, you know, uh, smoking in the film and things like that. Yeah. It's it's all there. That was a product of the time, too, especially with the noir is like the glamorization of things. And I I kind of always like that Mm -hmm. Uh, whenever, you know, just thinking back um to that film that I recently watched called what's the matter with Helen. I think that was set in like the forties or something like that. And it was like really uh, glamorous. That was like kind of the thing that it was going for. I like that. Yeah. 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 I kind of, it's, you know, it's like a lower budget film. Well, I, I'm a 130,000, but you know, it, it's not one of those Hollywood blockbusters at the time, but I think they did a good job with the look of this one considering, you know, it was quite obviously shot on sets and things like that. But yeah, this is I mean, a film that almost always pops up in books or yeah lists or anything you kind of read about film history. It's it's one that kind of always pops up. Do you think this film, in in a sense, is like it, you know the film itself suffers for what it's pretty much known for? 
you know, it's known so. for gi- giving the so. world that jump scare and, and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, cat people, you know, it was the film with ju- the jump scare and things like that. But if you, you know, if you really look at the film, it's a very, very simple film that is not really that developed. Like you have this myth and you have the psychology to it, but then, you know, and then you have this little minor third act with minor suspense. It, it's just, it's one of those films yeah. that's just, it's very plain and simple to, into the point. I think that it's one of those films that like if you dissect it and you take like certain scenes out of it, like that that's like the real benefit of watching it is to just see like where like where where this like information has come from and and just like looking back on it. I don't feel like this is as a film you know kind of how I was feeling earlier where I, I felt like the fluidity of myself was off in the podcast. I feel like the fluidity of this film is off as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not it, flowy enough. Well, it, it it doesn't flow because it's it totally has that choppy feel because of the lack of development, and that's just something you got to deal with when you watch it too, right? You know, it's a seventy three minutes. What do you do with development, right? Yeah, you know, really, really nothing. You know, so I don't know. Relies on look and uh, and myth. I don't know, man. You know, I still really do enjoy this film. I think the uh, I think the acting overall is really well done. You know, I don't really have a problem with the with the acting. I mean, there is some. I I, I want to say maybe you know um, Oliver Reed's uh, friend in the uh, in the film, the, the other girl there. I think she kind of overacts a little bit at times. But then yeah, again, that's it's kinda, like kind of of the time acting. It, though. it really is, though. Like sometimes it just makes me smile. I'm just like, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, they really think they're doing a great job. You know, they're not do- trying to do a shitty job. But it just comes off so just yeah. exaggerated. The, the very minor bit of like character development pre-marriage is where they're kind of at the zoo. And there's that little scene with the paper basketball where she's trying to make the and and it's like a cute like flirtatious thing and then it's just straight into marriage after that pretty much you know (laughs) i know right it almost feels like a goddamn like disney cartoon movie like fucking it almost feels dalmatians or something you know i always wondered though it's like you know oliver you know he seems like this very kind of successful guy he's like a marine engineer and things like that and you know and like he's just willing to meet somebody and marry them that quick like it it just feels like he's kind of (laughs) hurting You know, I, I need to settle down right now. You know, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. But yeah, you know, there there is lots of metaphors and things that are going on in this film that you can, which I think is kind of cool. You know, um, if they if that's what was intended, you know, like there's a scene where, she, you know, she goes back into the cages and it just it's kind of like a metaphor for like, you know, you know, letting the cat out of the bag kind of thing. And like there's there's little things that you can kind of dissect and you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know what else really to say, but it's such a short film. You want to get into ratings? Yeah, sure. All right. I'll go first on this one. Yeah. It, it's by no means a bad movie. That That's for sure. It, it's just it's just not one that I would really go back and watch again ever. I'm glad I seen it for its historical purposes. And it was, you know, mildly entertaining. I can't say that I was overly joyed by the end of it where I was like, man, I mean, that was so good, <laughs> you know, but it was like, all right, all right. I see what people like about this. You know, it's oh, I didn't like really, the scene on the couch. <laughs> it's not really my, uh, <laughs> my, my like favorite, but you know, I, I, I came, I, I, I was it. really just kind of, joking okay so i'm going in at about a six out of ten yeah I, I, you know honestly man i i really i enjoy it i 
I just wish there was a little more development in this film and just a little more suspense. I, I think this film could have benefited a lot from that. It just would have made it a lot more believable, you know, if you had that more development and you had a little more suspense and things like that and just didn't rely on such subtleties. But, you know, like it is a product of its, of its time, which I hate saying over and over again, but it really is. You know, you just, you know, there's all the things that aren't in this, you know, in the remake that aren't in this one, um, you know, like the nudity and, you know, the more hardcore things, I should say, dealing with sexuality and things like that. Um, but I still really enjoy it, though. I think it's actually pretty decent. I give it seven. All right, cool. Hmm. So, 1982's Cat People. This one was directed by Paul Schrader and written by a few people, actually. Uh, Dwight Bowden. Bodine. And Alum Ormsby. Don't know either of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so this one actually, I find I find a little, let, let, I guess I'll get into the plot. A young woman's sexual awakening brings horror when she discovers her urges transform her into a monstrous black leopard. So this one opens up, and right away, I gotta say, man. Yeah. The opening of this film is just beautiful to look at. It it's these red colors with these old like tribes people with leopard spots all over their asses. Yeah, yeah. It it's very very surreal. It it's almost to the point where it's like not even you know, it, it's just kind it feels of otherworldly. It does. It it feels like yeah, it's not real. It's just surreal. It's very, very colorful and well done. I love that opening uh, sequence. It's great. Yeah, and there's like all this like – it's like the world is like a little more red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, orange. Yeah. And I, I like the way they set that up too because then it goes into the backstory and they tell the backstory without using like any dialogue. Yeah. I like that approach. You know, again, it's like – it's kind of like a homage to like, you know, the 1942 film, which is very subtle. You know, here here it is. We're just going to kind of give you this little minor backstory. And then, you know, they obviously kind of elaborated on, on it more throughout the film, more in like towards the third act of the film. But uh, I, I like that, though, you know, that approach to the film. Yeah. So this one, um, I got like it, it's such a weird film for me because the first thing that I'll take note of is it feels like a mainstream, like well-made like almost Hollywood film where they're really trying and they got like talented people involved, but yet it, it feels like it has like sleaze and, and cheesiness to it too. That's, it's, it's a weird, bizarre combo. Yeah. That th- this movie is so strange. I think that the, uh, the insanely odd direction of this film and script, you know, mixed in with like a lot of, you know, um, well, really good cast members, and things like that. Like and there's cinematography. A, doesn't it just it feels so big and it's it like does. it still feels cheesy to me too though. I know it, it's such a strange combination. Yeah, it does, man. Cinematography is great. Script is weird, but it has like this ensemble cast that's like so usual of like, you know, one of these straight Hollywood mainstream films, but then the movie itself really kind of isn't. It has yeah. like this weird kind of un or weird kind of balance to it that in my opinion, kind of works. Like it's got some big names in here, man. Like Nakasha Kinski and, you know, Malcolm McDowell, John Hurd. Um, I mean, even John Larroquette's in this film, Lynn Lowry's in the film, you know, yeah, it's nuts, man. There's a it lot feels of very familiar- mainstream, like it, for sure. It does. It feels very mainstream when you see, you know, the leads and uh, the other cast members and stuff like that, you know, do their thing. 
And then when you kind of get down to, you know, certain scenes in the film, it seems very kind of Indian kind of underground. Yeah. It just it has this weird kind of balance. It's a very strange film. It's a very it's strange almost film. like like almost like a art housey. Yeah. It's like mainstream Hollywood with like a high but like it had an 18 million dollar budget, which is pretty high, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they I mean. They put together quite the castle and probably had paid a lot for that yeah, stuff too. Yeah. So, but, but but you know even early on, like you take the first scene, which instantly I'm like, I think I'm gonna love this movie. Mm-hmm. That's what I said to myself, just based on the first scene. And then you move and you have the the hooker scene where she's kind of uh, in there, and then the cat's like in the room, and then dealing with the cat the next day. And I was even really into it then. And then I feel like it lost a little bit of steam. Okay, what what where about the time do you think it kind of Well, like right after they they get the cat. They so about the so about the 17 minute mark is when we get our first tits. I actually wrote that down. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. So I was still I, was, I was still really into it at the 17 mark minute <laughs> mark then. Yeah. Awesome. Um I don't know, I, like it was like a weird it feels like it's a couple movies mashed into one for me. Yeah. I think this is a very like a very interesting erotic thriller that is just it just doesn't know what it wants to be at times. It's it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of a strange film like I said there's so many aspects of this just that just scream like Hollywood and others that are yeah. just so like Dude, it, it's I'm just I'm telling it's a, you right now. There's this balance. film has some great scenes like in terms of technical like types of scenes like oh, shots. Yeah. Yeah. There's like shots in the bathroom where the camera like pans back and up and away. And then there's, you know, other other shots where they're, you know, under stuff or like over stuff. You know, fog is good. Lighting's good. The Like rain and and pool scenes artsy, and stuff. There's some there's artsy some gore good, scenes. Yeah. You there, know, like when, some, when Buddy gets his arm ripped off and and then the blood's kind of flowing down towards a drain. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Stuff like, stuff like, like that with yeah. she's standing with the you know drain by her feet and stuff. Yeah. So it looks really good. Mm-hmm. But then you have this sort of incestuous, like, like nudity that feels like that it's there just for nudity being there. Uh, and, you know, there's penises a little bit. You see little <sighs> penises every once in a while. Uh, you know, so it has this almost like sleazy feel to it, too. And then it feels like it's trying to be real serious. But the fact that it's like this fucking cat and this guy is like in love with this cat and it's like this is kind mm-hmm. of cheesy feeling like I don't think you could play it serious because it's just, like you can't. This is what happens when you play something super serious. But the audience kind of sees it and it's like, ah, oh, it's just kind of cheesy. It, I don't know. It's just it doesn't feel maybe the subtlety of the original yeah, I don't like. I never really thought that they were just you know thrown in the nudity just for the sake of having it there. I think it's there for the fact that the movie is like psychosexual, right? It's it's about you know the sexuality and you know because that's the myth of what the cat people are. You know they can really only have sex with each other, and I don't. Know, it just it it just has everything to do with sexuality. So I think the nudity just comes hand in hand with that. Well, I say yeah, okay. I, I agree that there there are these. Because it's a story about sex, but at the same time, dude, you can't tell me that a hooker falling down the stairs and her bra bursting open isn't just 
thrown in there for for you know okay hits. yeah I'll, I'll give you that one right there but the, you know there is other scenes and stuff that i think it's totally there you know for reasons for yeah, but that that is a good example though completely i agree with that so <laughs> yeah definitely it, it's it's such a bizarre film for me though and you know i watched it on the blu-ray the scream factory blu-ray and i was almost you know, interested to throw if I had more time and I wasn't tired as hell to just throw the special features on and hear some interviews about like what the what the what the what the hell they were attempting to do, like what the core concept was behind the film and like the thought process while making it, because it was just it's one of those films that I, I don't know, like I don't really know how I feel about it. I, I didn't love it. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah I like certain things about it, but I also didn't like certain things about it. Yeah, unlike in the first film, um, you know how the first film is so subtle with the sexuality and things like this one. This one is just blatantly out there. And I love the fact that they don't shy away from, you know, the whole incest and, you know, the whole culture, the whole myth of their, you know, the of the cat people. Yeah, that one is this one is really like that. It's like they took everything that the original like kind of suggested and they made it literal in this one. Yeah, because they even have a monologue, too. I think it's uh, Malcolm McDowell in the film who says, you know, he basically explains to her sister because she's not really too sure mm-hmm. exactly who she is in the film. And, you know, and that's a good part of the film, too. She really has no idea who she is or she doesn't have an identity. She really wants to find out. But she finds out very quick in the film um, that, uh, you know, he explains to her that, you know, this is who we are. Um, if you have sex with a normal person, you will turn into a cat. And the only way to, you know, to get back to human form is to murder. And, you know, and that's his whole thing. Right? It's kind of like is, the wolf man a little, bit. it really, it really is. And, and the thing about this film is that it showcases that, you know, like there's a police investigation cause these people are, you know, going missing or whatever's going on and stuff. And uh, they literally find like this cage with all these human bones and things like that. You know, it's yeah. just like it's just so blatant. which is cool. Like there's th- those types of scenes in this film are cool. Like the I just like stuff. I like how they showed that animalistic, you know, type, you know, survival right there. That's what he does, you know, but it's all sexual. It's sexual. You know, yeah. it's it's really interesting. It's all about sexual. It's not he doesn't have to kill to survive. He doesn't even have to have sex. You know, it's just, but that's just part of what the cat people are. And, you know, yeah, the, the cat people, I think that if they could have really, cause the girl was a virgin, it, mm-hmm. I think if they really could have, um, maybe focus more in on their need, their need for these sexual desires, that, that, that that's exactly what they were like uncontrollable desires. I feel like that would have definitely helped, but I, I feel like they attempted it, but they didn't really get it across. Like it was like a need. Yeah, at times I feel the exact same way. Because then you could just say, just stop, just don't have sex with anybody then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I know that that's going to be kind of a like, crappy life or whatever, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like, at least you're not going to turn into a murderer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I understand his motives, though. Like, in the film, like, I think when you when you first see the film, you know, Malcolm McDowell comes across as such a dick in the film and he's just like, what the fuck is he doing? You know, he just seems so over aggressive with his sister and things like that. But, you know, in hindsight, he's really just trying to, you know, prolong his people and stuff, because this is the only way that they can really kind of keep going on, you know, yeah, or else you're just, you're just, with his sister. yeah, because you're just going to be oppressed. 
theoretically because you know every time you have sex with a human you fucking turn into a cat and you gotta yeah, kill but it, so it kind of almost makes me seem like he's not even the bad guy like what he's doing is like Okay, yeah, well, like maybe in well, no, America. He, the, thing is, the thing is, he is the bad guy, though, because he doesn't have to be having sex. He actually likes it. You know, he doesn't mind doing what he's doing. And that, so yeah, in a sense, so. he, is, he is kind of a bad guy. But at the same time, when he approaches his sister and says, hey, he basically says, hey, I need, we need to fuck, you know. But, you know, he doesn't do it in a very, you know, polite manner or anything. He comes across as it because at this point she has already found out who he really is and what he's been doing and stuff. And she's kind of, kind of piecing things together. Yeah. And but you know, it's, it's, it's a very awkward scene. And at first, you know, she might be given into this. And of course she doesn't. And so, you know, I, you understand his motive, his motives, you know, he's trying to be good, but at the same time, he's just a complete jerk. Cause he's well, yeah. killing people. Well, and, well maybe these so. cat people are just kind of jerk species, right? I mean, like, like yeah. these cat people, obviously they, they, what he says is like, they can't mate with humans. They can only mate. They don't turn into cat people if they mate with their own relatives, which yeah. is like the exactly. incestuous thing. And yeah. at the end of the day, like he's, it's kind of like, maybe that's what they should be doing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because well, that's think, how they continue to exist and that's how they're – that what they've known. It's only wrong because w- like we as humans, it's wrong for us to do. If it's not wrong for these cat people to do, then she needs to shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I think they did kind of hint at the fact – they might even have said in the film too that they were like the, the remaining cat people left. Yeah. So I I understand but, from his, his actually, point of view is like, well, you know, if – But wasn't there we, a scene in, in the bar or something where somebody's caught her sister or something? Yeah, I know. That's a very strange scene. I've never really been fully able to kind of figure it out. Like if that was thrown in there to be like, hey, this is kind of like a prelude to a sequel type of thing. I don't know what the hell that was about. You know, she says like she says Romana. Yeah. Or whatever. Like I know that's such a strange scene. I I don't know. Maybe yeah, something. I have never understood that at all. Um, whether whatever the reasoning is and everything that we're talking about right now, the, it, it's it's kind of a problematic plot to begin with you know because it's just so it's so weird and there's like just i don't know if it's i don't know if it, it i don't know if it's that problematic i think it's just in its approach it's just you know it's it's so in your face and you're just like okay you know you're kind of focusing on him but he does have legit motives though because they're, they're apparently the only two people left and he just wants to prolong the race yeah theoretically and like he like he really does state he's like you know, our mom and dad were brother and sister too, and he's like really. Yeah, trying to and that's it. why I can't help but like kind of side with him if he would just calm the fuck down and not be a dick about it. <laughs> exactly, but that's the thing. They kind of took that approach, and I think they took that approach in the film to, you know, kind of once they eliminate him, if they do or not, you know, to kind of justify maybe her later in the film. Maybe that's what they were trying to do. I don't yeah. know because if he's still around, maybe it doesn't work as well. You know what? I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I the her boyfriend guy. I feel like I feel like if this chick like told me she was a cat or like I find out she's a cat, dude, I'm not gonna really love her anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like I'm not gonna be doing some bestiality type stuff. I've always had a little bit of problem with the with the very end of this movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I've seen this movie a few times, and to be honest, I do like this movie because for me, it's like a very kind of surreal hypnotic almost versal uh, you know almost psychedelic it is I, and I like that about about you know, it's too. very there's very um, vivid dreamlike sequences in the film especially when she she has that one dream and it basically kind of 
you know, it fully convinces it tells her exactly who she is. Yeah, you know, and, it's a very kind of cool, vivid dream that she's having. And I don't like a lot of the things that are going on in this film, but its approach is a little problematic and it's a little it seems a little forced. It feels like it's just they didn't want to take the time to kind of ease into this or like, okay, hey, we're gonna do this. And and things are convenient in this film too, because she starts dating a uh, I don't know what you want to call him, like a zoologist or something like that. <laughs> you know, and things like that and stuff. One aspect of this film I really did enjoy was the the use of well, obviously like the effects were good. The effects were good. And the fact that they, they used they a use lot a, of real animals. Yeah, I did like that because the, the scene where they have the animals stuck in like the little uh, whorehouse apartment building and they're try- cl- dudes climbing up a ladder and they're shooting at it like and it's hopping the hell all over the goddamn room, tearing it up like that. There's no that's real. They're not faking that. It's just there's a real like Black Panther in this room tearing oh, shit up. And it's great. It's kind of interesting because there's a scene where this Black Panther's on this table and, you know, you can tell the Black Panther's real until they start, you know, doing like an autopsy on it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, that scene is kind of interesting because they totally just knocked that thing out. You can see it breathing. <laughs> like That is like, that's kind of crazy to be around. Like there's some scenes there where, you know, you had to have been, you know, if you're working on that film, like. Any second now, any second, yeah. I'm going to literally lose an arm. It, it is weird, though, because there is like these transformation scenes where it's just funny to me that they they literally turn into cats. Like it's not yeah. even like cat monsters or like sleepwalkers type of thing. It's literally just cats. It, I, I don't know. It would it be better if they were like cat creatures. Like would the movie be better? I don't know, man. Like, is there is there a thing with cats? Because I'm not like a cat person. Like, I have dogs and things. Like, but are cats known as like real like psychosexual creatures and things like that? Maybe that's kind of the why know, they are like that. Animal. I don't think. I have no idea. I, I'm just I'm just I'm wondering not a if that's cat what person either. Why why they literally turn into cats? You know, they're literally a cat. So maybe if it's like I, rabbits. I know rabbits are supposed to like have sex a lot. <laughs> Could you imagine how goofy that would be if they turned into rabbits? let's i think that let's do it (laughs) but anyway there's certain things about this one that uh, i do like like i'm not saying that i don't even like this film because i did like it i i just i think that it's a little too long as well yeah this movie definitely it's another problem i have with it it's too long you know honestly there there's some scenes and things i totally can be trimmed down and a little bit of development things i don't think need to be there but yeah it runs two hours that's way too long two hours is a is a long runtime for a film that kind of bounces around and it it takes you on like this roller coaster ride of like we said before it has this like hollywood has this versatile look you know it's just it's all over the place but then at the end of the at the end of the 118 minutes you're literally exhausted and then you're kind of disappointed because the ending isn't that good either and that's the problem with this move that's the biggest downfall to this film is that it simply doesn't pay off like it probably should yeah and one thing that i will give it a positive um points for is the casting not only for the good actors but the female I forget her name, but she actually has cat-like features to her face. Like, I don't know if it was like just the short hair, but like she actually does have this like very cat-like look to her. Like she could play Catwoman for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Natasha Kinski, very attractive woman, you know, and she's walks around naked a lot too. I know, right? Yeah, I mean, even uh, what's her name, Annette, uh, Annette O'Toole's in this film too. I think they even show her tits in t- in the film too. Yeah, there's a few. She, well, because there's a couple homage homages homages 
uh, to the original film in this one. Of course, um, you know, the uh, scenes with, you know, the, the cages and things like that. But most notably, the um, uh, the scene at the pool, yeah. you know, with uh, with Annette O'Toole and things like that. So there's I, also it, another one that I noticed, and it's a scene with a bus. It's actually it might be like a trolley or something, honestly, but they, yeah. they kind of do that. But they they completely do it like the wrong way. <laughs> like, I don't know if they were just trying to say, like, hey, we did a scene kind of similar to this, but we weren't trying to actually do a d- jump scare here. Uh, it was, but, you know, I noticed that as well. There's a couple of kind of like oddly funny jabs like not like jabs but like just funny scenes like there's a scene where um her boyfriend is doing his rounds or or no he's actually in the cage of one of the chimpanzees and that chimp has a tv in his cage it just fucking makes me laugh every time like it's in a zoo yeah (laughs) it's kind of like in the cage it's like kind of goofy man and there's also another really funny line in this film too where um i believe uh irena she asked you know her brother malcolm mcdowell uh, like where you been? You know, he's like, I was in jail. <laughs> he's in fucking jail. I just like the way he said. It fucking kills me every time. Because yeah. he he he's such a hard ass in this film. Like yeah. he's just not meant to be funny whatsoever. And I don't know, it comes across pretty funny. But I think Ultimate- this was an interesting remake versus original, just simply because like these films, although very different, different, they have the core- very similar concepts. The core is there. The core yeah. is there, you know. It's you know these sexual beings and uh, their myths and stuff like that. So, but this one is obviously not just solely. I mean, in the first one, it's just it's more mythy and you know almost psychological to the point where you know if you blink at the end, you might miss something kind yeah. of thing, right? It's but very this one, suggestive, and suggestive. this one is literal. Oh, big time! Yeah, it's products of their times, man. You know, the first one's really trying to hide its sexual blah blah, and this one is just okay. There's Muff. You know? yeah right it's just it's it. a totally different approach and that's what makes the contrast kind of interesting you know the first one you know has this story and it's kind of there but you know you can't even really fully say it you know but this one they have monologues saying it it's like the 40 year span and this is what you know this is how we've grown as people you know it's just so yeah. much more accepted I, I think it's kind of cool man but you know to me this movie always has been a little disappointing it's not that i don't like it or anything i just feel that there, there was potential that was missed in in this one i just you know shorten it up a little bit tighten up that end make a better ending mm-hmm. and i think we got a really really good film here i mean you got a lot going for it man you couldn't get any better of a cast a lot of a lot of cool faces in there yeah John, I, I think i think literally what you just said Make it a little bit shorter, like at least 20 minutes shorter, a better ending. And you got a cult classic here. Yeah. And, you know, actually, one thing I didn't mention that I absolutely love. I love the sound design in this film, like with the music and the and sound and stuff. It's yeah. awesome. There's a lot of really good scenes, uh, especially towards the end where um, I'm not really I don't want to really give away the scene, but where her boyfriend finds her and there's this like body up in the tree and stuff like that. Yeah. I just like the way that whole scene kind of plays out and things, but the actual, the music in this film, like the score is fantastic. It has like this early eighties kind of, kind of like low key synth sound that really does work. It's not aggressive because the film's not aggressive, right? It's, it's, it's kind of laid back, like almost sexual, you know, uh, beat you know it's really strange and then of course you have the main theme song cat people by david bowie which is totally awesome too i think it's awesome i think the music's great in this film yeah i'm i'm down with that as well i did i did notice the music uh, i always i always like that type of 80s music too it fits real well yeah i mean 
<laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of I mean, this isn't like your most 80s film ever, but the soundtrack just it lets you know. Yeah, this, this one, honestly, I mean, if you're done, I would like to get into ratings, maybe. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty much done. I think I said all I had to to say, except for there is one scene in this film that I don't want to really give away the full scene, but I'm just going to say uh, rubbing a little bit of blood on her mouth. Yeah. Fucking gags. It grosses. Every time I'm just like, ugh. No, you know, that scene didn't bug me at all. It's the one where <laughs> dude, like, eats this stuff on his body. <laughs> that, that's gross. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the – yeah. But, you know, it's because they're animalistic, right? I yeah. guess. Well, but... there's literally a hairball in the big, one of the opening scenes, so. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I don't even <laughs> like cats. So, uh, <laughs> you know, getting into the ratings, I'll go first again on this one just because – I want to. So, <laughs> uh, this one, I liked it. I liked it a little bit. I think Moods nailed it when he said if it was just a little bit shorter, better ending, it would be good. I feel like this is one that if I saw when I was a kid, I probably would like a little bit more. It's an interesting release by Scream Factory, honestly. The Blu ray looked pretty decent as well. Did you watch this on Blue? I did. Oh, man, the Blu ray looks fantastic. You know what's really fucking weird, dude? Yeah. I was watching the Blu ray. And I was like, damn, man, the transfer is really good on this. Like, it's really kind of popping and stuff like that. And I'm like, the audio is pretty good. Went on Blu-ray.com just to check out what the rating was. The uh, the PQ was like a 2.9 and the audio was like 4 point something. I was like, wow. Yeah, either they I'm just, always – either you know, I'm Jeremy my, is always obsessed with whatever new shit comes out, like checking the scores. But yeah. I don't really look too much into it because I'm pretty different than Blu-ray.com. Yeah, me too, man. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like so confused by it. I was like, wow. I actually thought the transfer was one of the better ones. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I thought it really captured those vibrant reds and things like that. I don't know. Yeah, plus the beginning of this film is just beautiful. <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah. It's you can't so help good. but to look at it. Well, that's so, what got me looking on, yeah. on Blu-ray.com, yeah. So, yeah, with that said, I think I'm going to come in at about a 7 out of 10 on this one. Uh, it's it's a solid movie, not one that I'm gonna run back to because it is long. But yeah, there, there's just exactly. a few problems I had with it. It's a little yeah. slow. So, you know, it's precisely why I barely ever watch this movie. And uh, this is actually the second time I've watched this Blu-ray. When it first came out, I, I watched it, and uh, I think I fell asleep. <laughs> I don't remember watching the whole thing to be honest, but uh, I guess it happens. But um, yeah, I, like like I said, man, I, I just you know I couldn't describe the film anymore like if i was just to describe it quickly to somebody uh like i said before it's just a very surreal you know psychedelic you know versatile hypnotic type film and i like those aspects of of filmmaking you know i like very kind of artsy things without being overly artsy to the point where it doesn't make sense you know i'm saying like i think they capture a lot of that art and you know certain things in this film but yeah too long you know, the ending, I really don't care for. It brings down my rating quite a bit. Um, I like these, you know, these sexual thrillers and, you know, it's cool, man. I give it seven and a half, though. Seven and a half out of ten. So did you give the other one seven and a half, too? I give the other one a seven. Okay, so so you agree. So you think that this one's better than the original? I do, yeah. Yeah, me too. It's one of those rare cases where I feel like they pretty much kept the gist of it and just improved on everything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I think it's like one of man. I actually, to be honest, I like a few remakes more than than the originals. Can yeah, I share some of them right now? Um, yeah, I like the the remake of the Blob more. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> uh, the Thing, the Thing is another one. Yep. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So pretty much anyone that came out in the eighties. 
uh, Invasion came out in 78. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> which is the second of four films. But I do like that one better. And I love the original one. The original one's really cool. Um, say I like this one more than the original. Um, I think there's one more, too. Can't quite remember. I like Halloween. Re- no, I'm just joking. Oh, you almost had gave nine fanboys a heart attack just now. Exactly. Had to stir it up, you know. Um, me personally, I like all the ones you just named, and I know this is pretty crazy, but I think that I like the Hills Have Eyes remake better than the original. I think. You know, I used to think I did too until I've watched the Hills Have Eyes remake a few times in the last few years, and you know, I don't it, think it I do. honestly doesn't. It does like decline the more you watch it. I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. It, and, you know, it's very, very much. I'm not saying I ever liked the Dawn of the Dead remake more than the original because that would be blasphemy. Considering Dawn of the Dead is my favorite movie of all time, um, but yeah, Dawn of the Dead remake is an is an example of a film that every time I watch it, I swear to God, my I lose a half point. Yeah, it's I just, think I'm down to like a seven or a six point five on that one now. I swear to God, I used to really love it, man. And I'll never forget when I first watched it in the first game. I just loved it. I was like, "Damn, look how fast those fucking zombies are! It's crazy intense, just going crazy." And I don't know, man. There's, I, I really enjoyed it. And over the years, I'm like, man, I was fucking retarded with that <laughs> one. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what happens, but yeah. yeah. So there. So what? So basically, the moral of this conversation is here. You got to give remakes a chance sometimes. Sometimes they turn out to be better than the originals. At yeah. least not very art. often, but sometimes they do. Not very often, but sometimes they actually do. And I'm sure there's other ones out there. I just can't think of them off the top of my head, but yes. you know, yeah. All righty. So I guess with that said, that is going to conclude episode 70 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, I definitely certainly did. I definitely certainly. What the fuck? I, apparently I can't talk either. Is that like a know. double negative or something? I don't know <laughs> what's going on there. Yeah. yeah, I certainly did, though. You know, it was fun. It was fun. You know, even though we're lacking a little bit of news this week and things like that. But I think we kept it real. Yeah. It was like it was like more of a chill show, you know, just just like a hey, we're back to doing this weekly. Just you know, this isn't like a huge mega show, but it's just like a fun little remake versus original show. Yeah, exactly. And I like these shows. I like you know having that little bit of contrast every once in a while. It's different. Yeah. Than doing just a franchise or just a single review. It's like a different type. You get to talk about two at one. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, man. And let's do that. So a couple things you guys could do. Definitely subscribe to us on iTunes. Review slash rate. At the beginning of the show, we mentioned that if we get 10 by March 22nd, we might do some sort of, well, we will give away something if, if that happens. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to try and get, you know, do the, enter the contest. Uh, Twitter, 22 shots podcast, Facebook, check this out. This happened today, actually facebook.com slash group slash 22 shots podcast. How about that? We actually have a URL for Facebook now. Baby, baby. That's pretty cool. Uh, mood six, one, six on YouTube, double shot J on YouTube. Of course, horophilia.com, 22 shots of moods and horror.com. If you want to leave us a voicemail, which Lawrence, I hope you call back and tell us what you was going to tell us the first time. The number is 724-426-6665. Again, that is 724-426-6665. Yeah, so with that said, we'll see you guys next week with a single standalone review. This one pretty interesting. We're going to do Sweatshop.
and we, uh, from a yeah, few years man. ago. Yeah, and we might be having a special guest. Uh, oh, I don't even know about this. Yes, uh, I may have acquired a boyfriend. That just sounds so wrong. Uh, no, um, not it's not a hundred percent sure because he does have to work until a certain time. But he's considering making up an excuse and leaving work early to do the cast. And I'm like, wow, we are so special. Absolutely, that's <laughs> awesome. So, but anyways, yes, we might have a special guest for that one. So stay tuned for Sweatshop. <laughs> 